Welcome to The Power of Perspective with me, Stephen Ritchie. Today we're venturing into a realm of limitless imagination. A realm where you can be a valiant hero, a cunning rogue, or a wise wizard. That's right, we're diving into the world of role-playing in Dungeons and Dragons. Stay tuned as we unravel the secrets behind this iconic game, share personal stories, and discover how role-playing can broaden our horizons in unexpected ways. Get ready to roll the dice and uncover the enchanting power of perspective. So to start this episode, I thought I'd go a bit into the history of D&D and sort of, you know, other role-playing systems, just to give a bit of background. So, you know, role-playing games trace their origins to collaborative storytelling and tabletop war games. The modern RPG emerged with Dungeons and Dragons in 1974, introducing character-based decision-making. The first edition laid the foundation, leading to a boom of tabletop RPGs in the late 1970s and 80s. The 1970s brought electronic RPGs, and the 2000s saw RPG diversification, including pen and paper, live action, and computer RPGs. D&D's history mirrors the RPG revolution. The original D&D allowed players to explore fantasy worlds, leading to the refined advanced D&D in 77. There's been controversies that D&D has faced, but has rebound from, including in popular culture, and especially with 5th edition, it's become more accessible and storytelling folk. D&D legacy endures, with a vibrant community and a lasting influence on gaming culture. Its ride coincided with the flourish of a diverse range of RPGs. Titles like Call of Cthulhu, Traveler, Shadowrun, and Vampire the Masquerade brought varied themes and settings to the genre. Alongside this expansion, a significant shift towards accessibility emerged. Games like Fate and Dungeon World prioritized storytelling over complex rules, opening RPGs to a broader audience. The approach has not only enriched the RPG community, but also made collaborative storytelling more inclusive and appealing to newcomers. So, Andre, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you, Stephen. It's um, excited to be here, and it's, it's a topic close and dear to my heart, so... Um... Yeah, thanks for having me. Me and Andre are comrades in uh, improv comedy. Uh, we both sort of attend the same sort of classes and yeah. go to shows and all that. And so chatting to Tim about you know, the role playing in d and I was like, man, this guy's got some experience and background and he's just an interesting guy. So I thought, let's, let's have him gone and let's yeah, have a cool chat. You know, it's something I'm passionate about and he's very passionate about it. So it's, yeah. we got a good um, parallel. So, yeah, tell us about yourself. Who are you, just your life background, and then we'll move into the more D&D background. I'm a level 12 engineer. No, I don't (laughs) want to lose people at the the RPG uh, jargon from the start. Um, Yeah, I suppose people start with what what they do as a vocation, and I've been a software developer for, I don't know, 16, 17 years. It's been quite a while, and grew up in Pretoria, and I came to get a job down in, in the Cape and I've been here near Cape Town out and about for well now for whatever 18 odd years I suppose to be on topic uh, yeah I've always considered myself I, I've always worn the badge of being a geek or a nerd or whatever you want to call it not not to try and be better than everyone else or weirder <laughs> or it's generally when yeah, I yeah. grew up it was I suppose we'll get into that when I grew up it was like rather not call yourself that because 
because you'd definitely not be one of the cool kids, but now it's become so mainstream. Yeah, we had to hide in our parents' basements. <laughs> yeah. And now we're the, the equivalent of on the football team in a way, right? Yeah. Everyone's so into it. Whereas, I mean, yeah. um, for me, it's just been, this is what I like. I, I'm not really going to care what society thinks because I am passionate about yes. these things. And I suppose even with your intro, I mean, you're, you're keeping it as broad as possible, but I, but I can also understand that people would... Uh, it would seem as much of a fancy thing, even though these yes. role-playing games exist in the real world here and now, it still would be like a fancy world to everyone else, because what is it, how do you get into it? But yeah. um, I suppose with regards to me, um, these games were a good way to develop social skills, which, you know, as a young person, I struggled to connect with people, I struggled to uh, find friends, to make friends, to, because, you know, if you have very niche hobbies like this, especially during that time, uh, it's hard to find like-minded people. And uh, we can explore this, but I mean, role-playing is a great way to find like-minded people and to develop your own creativity and social skills and a myriad of other things. So, um, yeah, this this has been a, a big passion for me, amongst other things. Uh, and how have you found it developed your social skills as you grew up, sort of, with it? Well, I think I started, like, in late high school, and I didn't really have a regular group. I had to find, you know, what they call once-off sessions here and there, or, like, yes. the, the ideal in, a, in, a, in the role-playing world is what they call a campaign. And a campaign is, like, coming together every week, every month, doesn't matter how, much, how often, but then, like, continuing one epic story together in a collaborative fashion but I, I had to find the little bit of you know single encounters that i could with with like-minded people but i couldn't really find a, a group that gelled with me and so on and we, we can get into why that is but yes. um, but definitely i think it's just i mean the simplest answer is like you come out of your shell right it's it's just the plain thing of putting yourself on the spot and you'll see like you have to play a character you have to think creatively yes. and even just challenging your comfort zone is going to have that benefit that's not just a role-playing thing but, yeah but like being creative in front of other people and expressing emotion and creative thought and yeah. collaborating with a team has this um enormous benefit of obviously developing your confidence and creativity yes. and character and uh, willingness to try new things and, and so forth. And role-playing is one, one of the better tools I've found to, uh, to throw all of those together. Yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's not just fun. It's like, very good for like personal development and social connections and such. But let's kind of go into what, what is role-playing and then on top of that, the subcategory, which is the big name that people know, you know, what is D&D? &D? Um, yeah. To you, what are those? To someone who's not familiar. I'm going to start at the last one. I think people now know after like a successful film and, and it's all over the, the world now in computer games and film and so on is uh, Dungeons and Dragons D&D &D, and it's just the biggest role playing game. There are millions of others now. But I mean, uh, people have a few misconceptions about what they are. They're not, they're not board games per se. Some people build out boards and dungeons. We physically see the pictures online of figurines moving on a grid and fighting each other. Those are all optional. Effectively, in, in its essence, all they are are um, worlds of the imagination that people can collaboratively explore together. Usually with someone like a game master, usually uh, that person is just like the umpire or main storyteller. Effectively, you have a storyteller that's going to not rigidly tell a story in a linear fashion from point A to Z. Players generally will have a say in the story, like a choose your own adventure book. I suppose it's a very elaborate choose your own adventure book where 
players get to roll dice possibly not every session not every group rolls dice but in general they have dice that are rolled which adds an element to ra of randomness to it yeah. like in the real world and that'll together with players actions decide oh how does this story unfold and if the players go off the tracks the game master generally tries to veer it back into a compelling nar narrative with, with definitely a lot of input from the players though it's a collaborative storytelling immersive fantasy experience and that fantasy can be sci-fi traditional fantasy uh modern world uh, vampires werewolves whatever you yeah, want every so. category you can think of yeah. under the sun right yeah. you know it's escapism but it's like being in a netflix show or whatever you know you can exactly choose how you want to experience it and you know which plot line intrigues you or whatever yeah. and then there's a bit of different is that there's also like almost randomness it's like hey i only want to do that thing or hey i'm you know i think i can accomplish this you know i can do that backflip or you know um yeah, yeah. <laughs> skydive or whatever but then you know maybe the game says oh here's something you didn't expect right you know your parachute broke or you yeah, know something yeah. didn't go as planned and so i mean the dice you know typically will be like a 20-sided dice has the most common or yeah. based on your other 20 your success is amazing and the, it encourages the game master to give a really amazing outcome of what happened and so, something really cool happened to you and there's kind of a level of eccentric sort of um, element it's if you roll kind of middle ground it's a bit more standard and if you roll really bad it's like oh the unexpected happened you know the everything yeah. something went wrong or just something totally away from your agency and this creates this dynamic environment of going cool there's one things i want to do but also there's there's tools that encourage um, surprise encourage storytelling and just encourage unique moments and so this interactive sort of thing that's collaborative you're with your friends you're working together there's teamwork yeah. and you know there's um, social dynamics and that creates a very i think unique experience and as you were alluding to is also very empowering you know you can be that character, you know, that you're not in real life. You can be that superhero or that mage or rogue as from the intro. You can cast spells or you can, you know, go on a little ventures or just have a random interaction at the tavern, as yeah. Andrew likes to say. So yeah, yeah. it's really, it's a sandbox. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think people always ask the question, you've never really heard of role-playing games or seen it in action. They always ask, but can I do anything? I, can I swing off of the chandelier in the tavern and kick the guy while swinging it's like you can do literally anything you can think of in the real world but you won't necessarily automatically succeed because yes. depending on who your character is if you're that wizard who is physically not too strong you know a lot of things but you're not physically strong and you go i'm going to swing on the thing the game's rule system will say you're not that strong we will try and quantify, obviously the real world is almost infinitely complex, but we'll try and quantify in these rule systems, depending on the role-playing game, they're all different, but the one might say, you're this strong. And if I'm not very strong, the where the dice come in is they're going to say, you're statistically less likely than the brawny big, you know, warrior to pull yeah. off that swing. Yeah. And, you know, you can try as a wizard, but you're going to have to roll higher than that warrior to pull off this epic feat, but by all means, you can do whatever a human being can do in the real world, and you're more free than any computer game, 
any other type of game that you can think of, any board game, you can do whatever your imagination allows, but the rules are going to maybe make the outcome of your decisions go a bit awry. Exactly. You've got to be ready for anything, right? That's yeah. part, of, part of the yeah. challenge. And, you know, if you're a game master, you're running the game, as you said, like umpiring, like a, a fate of a successful one will be enabling the agency of like almost anything that happened. So a less experienced one will be like, cool, you got to kind of follow that storyline or we're in a house, you kind of got to go left or right. But a more experienced one will really tailor to your imagination of being like, well, you know, if you want to, you know, blow up that house, you know, that's cool. Or if you want to, you know, I don't know, you dig through the ground or you want to teleport to another realm because one of your guys is a mage that somehow picked up a relic that, you know, takes yeah. you somewhere. I remember I ran a game based on the Everyone is John system where basically this is an interesting one because you are all controlling this guy, um, stereotypically uh, John. So everyone is a different personality in John's head. So one guy could be envy or anger or anything. And so you have like secret objectives of what you're trying to achieve. So maybe you want John to do this. You want John to, you know, get married or go find a girlfriend because you're like love or whatever. Or you're like angry. You just want him to get into fights or whatever or burn something down. So it's a really interesting Whoa. kind of collaborative system. It, it's fun. And it's also like everyone's trying to get these goals. But poor John, who's, who's stereotypically not very well able, he's a bit of a klutz or whatever, is being pulled in all directions. And you actually bid. So you'll bid currency and be like, I want to take over John now. And if you outbid people, you take over John. So like, you're like, okay, cool, cool. I want John to find happiness. So let's go, you know, on a dating site and let's, you know, take him on a date or whatever. Then another player is like, um, boom, uh, too bad because I want John to become president. So, you know, John all of a sudden like creates a rally and this girl like gets lost in the crowd or whatever. So there's that kind of like dynamic people fighting for control. And I remember in a game, I built this, uh, as with under an experienced game creator as well as um, game master as well as player and so i built this whole like section of wimbledon and there's like a spy plot going on or whatever and one of john's uh, personalities that one of the players came up with just out of their head and i could have never expected this is they're an arsonist they're just that's what i'm <laughs> like i gave them the framework of a character and they're just like no i want to be an arsonist so i'm like cool so like everyone's like someone's trying to like um, interrogate people and this guy takes control and it's like cool i'm going into the basement and he's, i'm like what are you doing he's like cool cool um just gonna play mess with the fires he starts a fire burns the whole building down everyone dies and i'm like oh yeah cool new plots <laughs> Plan B. I, I think John having like six, seven voices in his head yeah, to his yeah. defense was always going to lead him down the dark path. But it yeah. sounds like a fascinating system. Yeah. I haven't heard of that one yet. There yeah. are so many. So right? I built, I like yeah. revamped it and built upon like quite a simple kind of system of just quick oh. session to a very elaborate so you can have like a whole universe and game. So that's my contribution, I guess, to the realm. So actually, you're on the kind of voices in his head. Actually, at the end of, I think, the second game in the series we played was um he actually was meant to like give the fbi the story of what happened but like someone took over and basically gave this like crazy conspiracy story and so the next he got admitted into a psychiatric hospital for insanity by the police when he's being questioned and um so all of a sudden my next game was like 
not what I expected it to be. Now it's instead of, you know, um, saving the world on a spy mission, it's John's going and he's in the same asylum. How has he escaped, you know? And now, and also the flavor changes. Now this is a bit more gritty and horror-esque as opposed to adventure and intrigue. And so this is kind of illustrates the magic of what role-playing can create. And yeah. a lot of this was, sure, this preparation, but a lot of it just intuitively what the players wanted, what the dice rolled, who, who won the bids. And players did things that I could have never accounted for, like burning down a building or, or giving a speech of conspiracies when he's meant to tell what the hell went wrong in this like crime scene. And so, and this is all just emotion and storytelling and humor and a little bit of combat. And it's this kind of beautiful thing that creates these moments you can talk about with your friends in future, you know, stories you don't forget. This happened quite a long time ago. So that was just to illustrate like the feeling of you can do whatever. So it takes us to imagination. This thing that, you know, we used to as kids is our worlds, right? We had yeah. imaginary worlds we lived in or f imaginary friends, whatever. But in kind of modern times, we've moved away from that imagination. We've, you know, more in a rigid world, work serious, you know, and so like, why do you think, you know, it's so important to bring imagination back? Yeah, that's a big question. I like it. Um... Yeah, I, I, I really think with regards to these role-playing systems, like how you've alluded to these crazy things that people get, get, get up to, I think it, it's just good escapism. And I think escapism is like anything. I don't know if most people think that it's a good or a bad thing. And I'd say escapism in a, in a moderate amount is an incredibly good thing. Like anything in excess, you're not going to deal with the real world. Your your Dungeons and Dragons group. If you do yeah. that like three times a week, like maybe uh, you're avoiding your real life responsibilities. Luckily, with role playing games, it's a collaborative thing, and generally it's better in person. Uh, person, sorry, you can play online, but it's usually better in a group, like with most social interactions, sitting face to face. Uh, nothing quite beats that. But I think luckily with D and D, it's so hard to find people to come together, sit in a group, especially in the busy times we find in that the escapism is hard to overdo. And yes. it's because it's so wild and crazy that escapism uh, for me has been invaluable, uh, de-stressing you, connecting with people, doing something crazy together as well, creates that camaraderie and uh, builds team spirit and teamwork. Uh, forging your own creativity is good. I mean, people create art. Uh, creating is fundamentally good for us. Play is good for us. I think Often you find very successful people, and I'm on a tangent here, but I think it's one of the key benefits that people forget about in the modern world, especially adults. I'm 40. Like, uh, people my age generally have forgotten. They've accomplished so much in their lives, and it's like, I have the financial freedom, or, you know, these are big things that a lot of people haven't reached. Stable relationship, they have all these things, but often, like, something's lacking in their lives, and there's something that still makes, um, you know, life difficult at times. I mean, difficulties will always arise, but for me, play, it's just like, it's as important as a good diet, as exercise. Even as adults, people forget that playing, especially with other people, it's such a fundamental, good and healthy break from, there's enough darkness in the world, right? Enough yeah, pain. it's a stressful it, it, It's stressful that social media has inundated us with, with bad news and, and bad things, like it wasn't already bad enough before then. And I think playing together with other people, playing with crazy ideas, unrestricted, in a safe environment. Obviously, you have to find the right group. We'll undoubtedly get into that. But um, playing together with people, 
just letting go of those the further you are from the real world i think the better but you can by all means role play and just be someone who's i'm a frenchman and i just want to be french for two, three hours <laughs> this uh, france the rpg by all means do that i think the real fantasy worlds uh allows that escapism and uh and, and creativity, right? Yeah, 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 you can be creative in a world that maybe creativity is not so embraced. You can experiment, you, you know, you try things out without fear of, you know, like something bad happening, you know? Yeah, yeah absolutely. And I mean, sometimes I think people can push those boundaries and um, sometimes other players think you've gone too far, this or that. And it's, you know, it, it's like with any social interaction, if, if you know the people well, you know where those boundaries are a lot better. And if you're in a new group, I think communication in role-playing games are very important due to having these radical creative thoughts. Some people might be uncomfortable. That, so I think new role-playing groups, it's very healthy to just go at the start. Like, what are you into? What's your type of sense of humor? Because humor crops up. Yes. Where the people sometimes go, there's a horror campaign. This is by definition, this role-playing game set in a horror setting. It's going to be in a haunted mansion and monsters are going to come out and murder people. And everyone's like, I love the genre. Great. But someone else might go, oh dear, that's, if it gets too gruesome, I'm a bit queasy and blah, blah, blah. So maybe that session isn't for them. But I think it's important to find a group and people that like the same types of senses of humor, you know, uh, same types of movies, maybe. You don't have to have everything in common, but it's good to know where your boundaries are, where, what's going too far for you. And uh, then explore those worlds together. By all means, be creative and people are going to laugh. I promise you, even the horror settings have had some of the, the biggest laughs just because people roll the ones, they roll the dice. The one comes up when when it was the most important thing to get right and the whole party falls down a pit and we can't help but laugh. You can call it schadenfreude, but you know, sometimes even the dark bits make us laugh. Yeah, yeah there's a, in, in the bizarreness or just unique interactions, there's a, a, a humor that can always be found. And, you know, role-playing is part of um, this kind of geek culture environment. Yeah. And role-playing itself has become more acceptable through, you know, things, whole sort, bunch of phenomena we'll get into. But why do you think geek culture itself, and maybe go into what it is, has become more acceptable so that people like us can, you know, be doing these things in such a broad range of places and not just you know in, in the basement or you know in this very specific <laughs> environment but what, 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 so on geek culture itself what do you think on that yeah i'm like we've moved out of the basement that was the 80s then the <laughs> 90s i think like computer rpgs became very big you had the old school niche rpgs like the ultima games then Baldur's gate these games became big uh the graphics started getting better D&D became more accessible in and of itself. I, I think some huge things happened in popular culture, like Lord of the Rings, the early, like late 90s, or was it 2001-ish? Lord of the Rings became a massive franchise. So it became popular in movies. The superhero movies took off the last 20 years before then they were niche. And suddenly they became some of the biggest blockbusters. So suddenly being a geek in a very broad sense became socially acceptable, even popular. Yes. And now suddenly these tabletop games that, like I say, have the advantage over any other medium where the group can define the limits of how far the storytelling, the humor, the ima your imagination, stories themselves, how far they can go. And the sky's the limit. Your imagination's the limit. And I think that's, that's its true appeal. And that has always made this as the, the almost, not, not the godfather, I don't know, the, the pinnacle, the 
the absolute pinnacle of geeky culture. Um, I, I don't want to. Yes. Now I'm comparing it, saying it's better <laughs> yeah, than anything yeah. else. I love it's more, board I, games. What you're saying, I, yeah. it's more stereotypically the the symbol of geeky culture, even yeah. though obviously there's a spectrum, and it's become very popular now. And you know. It used to be, yeah, like, I remember at school on the, the playground, if you did, like, geeky <laughs> things, um, typical anything, you know, board games or, or role-playing or even into anime and stuff, like, yeah, yeah. people, you would, like, avoid bringing that out, you know, you're going to be very specific crowds that would do it. Now it's like, yeah, everyone's into these things. To people, I think, the barriers be broken. People realize that these things are actually a lot of fun, you know, it's not just kind of that weird yeah. thing that very niche person does. We all enjoy things. We all enjoy play humor interaction and in a world where you know social interaction is sometimes harder to find you know yeah. people become quite isolated people become quite interacting everything through tech and that kind of real face-to-face human connection moving away from the social media and going into a more uh, you know real emotions real connections and just play in a form that you may not get elsewhere. No, absolutely. And the beauty of the form is, and I, I don't, don't want to say I want to retract, but I think to phrase better what I tried to say earlier is just this is the format of any geeky endeavor that has the most degrees of freedom. I think I can make that claim um, just because it's all in the realm of your head. So it's not like a game where people need to create 3D models for it. This, this is in your imagination. The rule systems are guidelines of these books that describe the world and what dice you will roll to resolve outcomes but they never restrict where the story can go where the imagination can go yeah no rule book tells you you can't think of this or that um so in that sense it's it's the most freedom you can have in any any game that i can think of but to each their own um sometimes yes. i want to chill with a board game that has more rigid rules because i don't have to think creatively now Sometimes I want to play a computer RPG because I want to hear that great voice actor that's better than me or my friends. But role-playing has that raw, unadulterated, uh, you know, free-form creativity where it's just like, usually, even though you've strictly planned, the game master planned this epic narrative to go a certain way, yes. the players surprise them with new outcomes. They often have to adapt the plot because it's like, I didn't think it could go there you know i didn't think this would even happen in the story um, yeah. game masters have to be so quick on their feet and so willing to change their preconceptions of where the grand narrative even if there's going to be such a thing where it's going to go is when you give players a option and you describe a scene you're in a cave or let's say you're in a fifth floor of the tall building and you see there's a a corridor going left and a corridor going right and you ask the players which one do you choose now you've done some preparation obviously they can do whatever they want they can run back as well they can sit there and just talk for five minutes or you know lie down to have a rest you know you, you can't force them to go left or, or to go right but you can say you can give them the choice because you've crafted up oh, and i know down the left passage there's a couple of you know, evil people with guns waiting. Now the right passage, it's safe and there's a vending machine and they can refresh, get refreshments, Cokes yeah, and, yeah. and snacks. So hopefully they're going to choose left or right, depending on what will be interesting for you. But my friend always said, um, role played a lot with me, he said, when you ask players as a game master, do you take the left corridor or the right corridor? Which one do they usually choose? They choose the air vent. <laughs> and you're, they're going to ask you, is there an event? You're like, well, it's a big building. I guess it has one. They go, we'll take that. And you go, but I, 
prepared so much. There was the, the terrorists on the left with the hostage and the, and the snacks machine. And they're like, well, they can do what they want because the sky's the limit of their imagination. You have to go, ah, oh, but what's going to happen in the air vent? I have to quickly invent something. Yes. So it's never rigid. You can never predict what the story is going to do. Players can do what they want and you'll have to improvise and we're going to collaboratively make the story going go into it. Probably in a better place. Uh, I think the whole's greater than the sum of the parts with role playing. If in a good group, if yeah. we're on the same page, if we respect each other, if we're creative, if we honor each other's suggestions, let go of our own cleverness when it doesn't serve the group. These are very hard things to do. You know, yeah. letting go of the ego, letting go, but I had this great idea for the left corridor. Why not? And I also get yes. caught up in, oh, but I had this good idea. Uh, if you let go of that ego, you, you tend to be able to collaboratively take this down very unexpected creative routes uh yeah this is the beauty of the format now. yeah if yeah. you guys try out some role playing you look forward to epic storytelling you know uh, humorous moments <laughs> unpredictable action you know a little bit of combat a little bit of uh, fun maybe bands uh, crazy characters and so there's a lot there and there's a and one of the great examples of this and uh, most iconic you know is that dnd you know it populated the genre it's got a massive amount of resources and you know different books and worlds and so on and extended to many ways uh, how do you think it's itself influenced popular culture Wow. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously huge now with, with uh, Stranger Things and the like. So, so now it's like getting a lot of people into it. Um, it's very big on YouTube with things like Critical Role and a lot of people are uploading their D&D campaigns yes. and as live actors. Going to and... Critical Role itself, that's a very popular... I haven't watched a lot. I've seen Stray Eps, but I've never religiously kind of followed it. But I suppose the format I can talk about... Um, yeah, just so, how, yeah. so I like I don't maybe I don't know what critical role is, you know. I'm on YouTube, I pop I see a random, you know, um clickbait or whatever title, it looks interesting, I go on. What, what what does someone get when they watch an episode? See, these are live recorded D D sessions. Usually a D D what I when I spoke about a campaign earlier, that's just multiple sessions of people sitting down, you hopefully in the real world. If you can play online by all means it's great to facilitate combat, uh, to uh, digitize that, do it faster, but sitting face to face is easier. And those are recorded episodes of people sitting together, trained actors, a lot of them, yes. uh, trained voice actors. Um, they're very good at doing accents and voices and characters, being very believable. So think of it as on the spot little bits of theater with a yeah. game master who controls it, a rough narrative giving agency to the players saying, what do you want to do next? There's often the question, or what do you want to do? And these apps, you'll see very talented, experienced role players continue a story over many episodes that has been going on for years and years. They've uploaded these and you know the characters after a while, you know, that person, that actor that I like plays this character, this, you know, dwarven, uh, you know, priest, cleric, whatever. Yeah. It's kind hearted, but with an alcohol addiction and you know but i know that this this character always gets them into a lot of trouble for no fault of their own because you know this uh dwarven character the heart of gold but clumsy and sometimes uh sometimes a bit uh, with the uh, you know tactics falling to the wayside and yes. um 
people tune in to every week watch these characters develop and also grow from the story and the things that happen to them that they're not going to expect often trauma and you know bad things before these characters and and the good role players and especially from critical role they're very good they you see the character development as well it's not a static character you're getting attached right you're getting drawn in and you're starting to like feel like you really understand them and you're connecting with them and you want to know what's happened and something bad happens to them that could have yeah that affects you something good you you're like cheering there with them so it's like it draws you in like nothing else it exactly and it's so it's in that sense like why have soap operas been so popular for so many years because people watch this character for 20 years i've heard of role-playing groups that have played every week for 20 30 years now that's extreme few people due to logistic reasons and the complexities of the real world can do that but you often hear of groups you know in america some that have like pulled this off where that group of friends met for 30 years and played every week and they played with the same characters so that's just how people follow a soap opera except they could generate it with the powers of their imaginations on a weekly basis they could take the random currents of where did the little plot points the little things happening to the characters good and bad how did it shape this person who they are today now, yeah. if they change from day one, they became more powerful, probably. In D&D, a lot of it is also accruing power, just in the sense of becoming more experienced, a better fighter. Maybe power corrupts, like in the real world. And maybe yeah. this goes to their heads and they make real mistakes and then they have to deal with consequences. So it's exploring emotions as well, of your, your own emotions, the character's emotions. I think it's just, in that sense, good art, if done well. Yeah, there's that story I saw on a, a YouTube special where... This guy's been, you know, running games for 40 plus years and he's got this like multiple groups that like fly in from all over the world that come play with him. And he's like a trained historian so that he can create like alternate history into these worlds he creates and he's created built upon the rule sets of D&D. And he builds props. He's got like almost like a warehouse of things he builds. And so like, yeah, and that's an example like he's gone above and beyond he made his life about it it's like almost an international icon for the the hobby and you know in dnd also like there's a movie now i mean how exciting is that yeah the movie was great yeah i love the movie oh yes and it, it goes into those kind of dnd tropes like the guy gives a speech and then you know someone um sneaks sneaks off and steps on a trapped thing that ruins the whole like plan it's like <laughs> oh shit now now we now we're screwed yeah yeah, yeah. And even iconic sort of actors like, you know, Vin Diesel plays like, you know, role playing, you know, he's, I mean, big he's like, the, he's the cool, cool factor of, of anyone else. Right. Vin Diesel's a better. No, 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 it's just become big. And like Henry Cavill springs to mind, who's self-proclaimed and, and proud to wear the badge of nerd. And it's not just because it's mainstream. It's like these games are fun and people who have tried them and that have that social you know, I know what's trying to think of the colored flag and something like Formula One to go, go ahead. You, you've got the thumbs up yeah, socially yeah, to go ahead and be like this. And um, so well, let you try these, like, sorry, just to say people, yes. I, I can't see inherently why they wouldn't like it. Now, people might go like what you've said. Maybe people don't like fancy. They go, I don't want dwarves and elves. I don't want this or that. I don't want the whatever modern day world. That even sounds boring. But then you could just, there are infinite worlds and stories. Everyone likes some type of movie, right? No one would yeah. go, there's no movie I've ever liked. That's a strange person. I would almost say 
role playing can be in anything it can be uh we're gonna do alternate um napoleonic wars what if napoleon didn't win that battle i mean whatever's your your jam alternate history fantasy sci-fi modern day horror modern day soap whatever that you'll you'll find something you like i believe role playing can be for everyone yeah and let's talk about uh D itself as a as a system what what is specifically okay. unique about it so this makes me think like dungeons and dragons has been the most popular role-playing game there are others in similar settings that are coming up like pathfinder which i also definitely recommend um what makes Dungeons and Dragons, I think, compelling and good is I think the success of Lord of the Rings definitely did help because Lord of the Rings inspired a lot of Dungeons and Dragons. You know, the, uh, undoubtedly it's there. There are dwarves and elves and magic. It's probably a bit more what they call high magic in D&D. Uh, Lord of the Rings is more of a low magic setting. What I mean by that is Lord of the Rings, the, the magic is subtle and few and far between. Gandalf raises his staff and he might suddenly make the trees part or a rock fall on something. And that's, that happens once in a few hours of reading, you know. Yes. Magic is kind of part of the world, but it's rare. At the end, it's a bit more uh, part of the world. Not everyone can use magic. You need to be a wizard or a sorcerer. The sorcerer is someone that innately has magic in their blood and it often controls them or... You know, uh, it can be a bit of a, a, a blessing and a curse at the same time. Wizards have to study at academies how to create magic. But magic is still not something everyone can do in Dungeons and Dragons. But it's it's a common thing in the world. It's a bit more high fantasy. And I think that it makes it nice to play these characters. Because you have these spell books where you have certain spells that give you certain abilities to alter your reality as you play. But... At the very core of it, I think the familiarity with something like Lord of the Rings, the classic fantasy genre that's been how many 80s films, yeah, you know, yeah. um, how many fantasy cartoon films do you, can you think of where high fantasy has been popular now for 30, 40 years? And, and Dungeons and Dragons is just, I think, an easy role playing system to start with because uh, everyone knows what a dwarf and an elf looks like and a, a long sword and a big tower shield and. Yes. Uh, if I'd say an orc attacks you, most people now know what an orc looks like. Maybe you have an idea of them being browner or greener or whatever, but that doesn't yes. matter. We can have slightly different ideas in our brains. And uh, I think it's an accessible world. It's just different enough from the real world, right? Yes. Where it's going to be es- the escapism element's going to kick in where I go, I'm escaping from the real world. Casting spells is not something I do in my job. Uh, fighting orcs, definitely not. But yeah, it's different enough that there's going to be that element of escapism, but it's also familiar enough that the, we don't have to pause every five minutes and go, what's an orc? Like, yeah, yeah, the source well, material is yeah. very relatable. And yeah. uh, even the, you know, the characters, like, sure, you're a giant or an orc or you're a wizard. But, you know, those characters are still um, human-like. So, you know, they yeah. still have emotions and skills and backstories. Yeah. And all those typical humanist things that you can yeah. Yeah. quickly play them and just kind of transfer. It's like, well, that's what a person like that is like. Sure, they're a wizard. So what is like that kind of persona? But now they've got a few extras. They've got magical powers. You know, they've got a very specific appearance. Maybe they've got some prejudices or, or things they enjoy, like 
you know, smoking pipes or they're scared of goblins or things (laughs) or whatever. Yeah, exactly. It's all that. And I think a part of the development of your character in in Dungeons and Dragons and the like, um, for a lot of people, it is mostly about creating this powerful character. Learn more spells, gain more accolades, save the realm from encroaching doom and peril. but there's also the element of this development of the character. And like you say, the character development in all role-playing systems are going to actually be the same because we can only relate to what's human. For yes. us, character development is going to be dealing with the emotional turmoil that comes our way, which we can't... The year we, our imaginations, I don't think, strong enough. We can maybe go, what if a human didn't have any greed? What would a human be like? And we can explore that, but we're going to relate that to emotions we already have. So... I, I think this character development, one of the most fun things in role playing for me is working on my character and seeing how they're going to be formed by the things happening to them. And like you say, it doesn't matter if it's fancy, sci-fi, whatever, yeah. we're going to relate it to real human psychology and like, how would this trauma affect you? How would this character deal with this betrayal by their best friend? How would they deal with suddenly being made Lord of the Realm and they have to... <laughs> take all these the lives of all the common folk in their hands will they crumble under the burden or will they save the realm or will they yes. stand up and become who they've always been destined to be you know yes. th- there are these real human emotions behind it all which are so fun to explore and obviously will have benefits in the real yes. world because we deal we struggle with those things every day let's uh, let's talk about we've mentioned uh, characters so let's talk about creating a character and how these characters we create enable us to oh, role right. play, to exercise creativity and attachment and, you know, traversing this wonderful or scary world. So firstly, in a formal format, whole sorts of varied character sheets and just character tropes and designs. Just talk us through creating a character in D&D. What does a player sheet look like? What is the type of characters? And then we can go into how we enable role-playing through that. These are fun and challenging questions. I like um, <laughs> to think about this. Obviously, the character sheet is usually a sheet of paper or two or three, whatever. Often just the basics is just on one. Where you try and quantify the personality. You encode a real-life personality, which we know is infinitely diverse amongst humans, almost infinitely, not close enough. Yes. And we try and codify that in some rule system, depending on what you're playing. In Dungeons and Dragons, say it would have a stat that we call it for strength, one for intelligence, one for a few others. They don't all matter. Or let's say charisma. And I go, I'm very charismatic, so I have the score of 20. That's incredibly high in Dungeons and Dragons. 10 would be dead average. The hero is you're dead. You have no charisma. But (laughs) you'd have a charisma. Even a very uncharismatic person can still ask for directions on the street. So this is a rule saying, I'm going to generate this character and I want to play... Let's say I start with a concept in my head. I can first do the stats, then decide the concept, or vice versa. I can go... Let's pick strength 12. Oh, I'm just a little above average strength. Not yeah. too strong. But I have 18 charisma. Yeah. Um, and this means I'm very charismatic. Way above average. What would that person be like? So now I've put the rules down. and The, the game will have certain limits of I can't have everything on a high 
level because then I'm just a, a non-believable human that's good yeah. at anything. The boss comes at the end of the level and you just stare him down the boss runs <laughs> yeah. away. Exactly. It's fun, but also a bit yeah. overwhelming for storytelling. And, and also for storytelling, if you think of any compelling book, novel, um, the interesting characters are flaws. And I always tell people, don't just make the strongest character you can. If you want an interesting character, make someone, what makes them interesting is not what they're good at, it's their flaws. Yeah. Someone who wants to make the world a better place, but they have a lust for power. That's not going to end well. We know where that leads from history. <laughs> but, the, but the lust for power is to make the world better, but then they become the very monster they sought to destroy. That's what a great epic novel would be about. And when we generate these characters, we might start with, what are they good at? And he also has skills. Oh, he's, he's good at public speeches. He's good at carpentry. You know, we can write those down. We can pick, these are the skills they've been trained at. These are their innate skills. They're good with words. They're good with expression. They're very tall. They're very old. They're an elf. So we yes. start on the character sheet by quantifying just what are the base personality traits, physical characteristics that they have. And then the campaign starts. Now, you already don't know what type of person they're going to develop in. Same with us. Like you've got your genes, you've got your upbringing, but then what's happening to us and the world around us, what the economy is doing is yeah. affecting us. That's not in our hands. Yeah, well, you know, like for instance, like where I am in life now is not where I expected, you know, 20 years ago. And, you know, your character where you thought they'd go is not necessarily where they go. Yeah. I yeah. think the value of a character sort of sheet or design is that you can first inject flavor, you know, like create like how your character feels and looks and where they fit in the world. So if they're an orc, you know, maybe they like to do those things. Maybe they're from this region and, you know, then they've got skills and um, attributes like strength and so on. And this creates a tool set for a player. Let's give the players some help, right? They're not just on their own. They have to be like endlessly creative. You are creative, but there's things that help you in this process. So if you're uh, in a fight, and your, you know, combat stats is like nothing. Well, then you could roleplay that, oh, my character hides behind a rock. It immediately gives you some, like, yeah. things to, to generate ideas. Or, you know, yeah. my uh, character is very arrogant. So, you know, maybe they're, they're in a, a conversation and they overplay their hand. And they're <laughs> like, yeah, you know, we've got a whole army waiting outside. Come out with your hands up. Meanwhile, there's like, like three dwarves or something <laughs> that aren't so competent. And so the, it gives you tools to help creativity and help decisions and also drive. So, you know, if your character's very strong, but they're not very tough, maybe they're awesome with like weapons or whatever, but then they, you know, they flea bites them and they run away. And this creates <laughs> complexities in the world. So you don't have to play your stock standard, you know, Joe Soap, you immediately have a flavor of something to be like, what would this character do here? A very competent person, well, they'd gain conversation. A very jealous person, well, they would, you know, be very uh, frictionful in um, relationships or meeting other characters. And now, you know, this guy, also in the teamwork aspect, you know, there's a lot of problems that get given to characters. Problem solving is quite fun and it's just a great way to inject teamwork, not by, by force, but, you know, like encourages it beyond a few fully intuitive way. So, oh, we want to get into this castle. It's locked. How do we get in? Well, 
maybe one of our guys is very good with their hands. They've got good crafting. Maybe they can build a rope or a ladder. Yeah. Or maybe we've got a, I don't know, a dwarf that can burrow or someone who can distract the guards. And so everyone's unique cocktail of skills enables them to actively contribute to the teamwork conversation, to solving the goal, not just be the character. Yeah. Unless they're a really laser character, but... Like otherwise that just sits on the bench chills yeah. there and like you guys do it it's like no you're unique <laughs> you have value you you have unique flavor you have the ability to direct the story in your own direction and at the same time your ability to add to the enjoyment of yourself and other players and for me that's a beautiful thing and so yeah. I tell people who are like oh, I don't know how to, to, to be a character I'm not in film I don't know what to do I'm a little confused I don't know what items to give my character and I just tell them, you know, or they come with a character sheet that's hardly filled. They're like, uh, name, character. And I'm like, this is the greatest asset you have in a role-playing game. It's a tool set, you know. Yeah. If, if you, you go to a job and you have no tools and you're a plumber, you're going to struggle. So help yourself. Give yourself a redeveloped character. From there, it's so much easier to inject yourself in a game and immediately off the bat, you know what you're doing, you're having fun. Everyone already knows how to interact with your character. The jokes come naturally. And... Yeah. It's a great asset. I would say the thing in group dynamics is like a lot of people are also shy or not used to the universe. And so they will struggle to get involved or know what to say or contribute. So if you've got a list of like, well, here are 10 ways that it kind of makes sense for me to add my little pitch as opposed to, ooh, how do I get into the conversation? What do I do? How do I really add? I've never done okay. this. You know, it helps you get over that shyness. It's not a sin in role playing. They don't tell you this always when you start playing, but it's not a sin at all. In fact, it's encouraged and good and healthy. Nothing's truly 100% creative in you anyways at any art. Draw from your inspirations. Pick a character from a TV show, a soapy, a fancy novel, and slightly tweak one thing, or take them roughly as they are. There's nothing wrong with going, I want to play like a Gandalf, but more selfish. I'm that clever. I'm that wise, but I want a bit of the loot for myself. That's an interesting character already. I just made yeah. that up. That's well, a way the, to play. Yeah. On the Gandalf parallel, <laughs> you keep the ring, you get super yeah, corrupted, yeah, and exactly. you're the reason that the humanity gets destroyed. That can be a campaign, except that's just the one player. There are other people at the table. So obviously, as you pick what you're going to be, you are mindful of there are other people there, and you want to bring them along with you. And, uh, you know, it's a team sport in a way, even if your characters have friction between each other. There are real humans in the real world that also want to take their character interesting things. Obviously, you want to leave room in your development for them. But back to your question on how to develop these characters, draw from fiction, draw from real life. Maybe you had a weird boss and that's the innkeeper that you're going to make them meet as a, as a game master. By all means, borrow and take accents you know character traits flaws from fiction that's fine that's a good starting point if you struggle with the rules themselves when you generate your character i always tell people when i run games i don't force them to fill everything in at the start i go okay let's just think about how they look just paint me a physical picture okay let's figure out how strong they are and how fast they are whatever you want to be let's fill in some blank you know some basics and then as the story starts i'm like we'll figure out more about your character as we go along yeah. and it feels daunting at the start because we develop we, we just described these vast narratives of character development and that feels maybe like a bit of a 
creative uh, <laughs> monolith, uh, <laughs> you know, thing to overcome here in front of people. And I, I would say, remember, you generally play over many sessions and knowing your groups. At the start, you're just that, you can literally be that little hobbit thief that wants to just steal little trinkets, but wants to be friends with everyone as well. See, I just made that up, but that can be your only starting point. That's, you need no more complicated. And then you can just watch like in an improv scene, what emerges. And maybe that first session you play this little guy that's a bit shifty and nicks little trinkets in the shops that you visit. But then somewhere someone gets hurt in the party and you're the first to help them out. And then we're like, oh, it's got a bit of a heart of gold. He's a fundamentally good person. What went wrong in his life? Two, three yeah. sessions down the line, we find out, no, they've, you know, he was thrown out of his village. It was a misunderstanding. It was unjust that he was kicked out of his you know the village now he's coping with all these bad things that he's doing what we sympathize don't need to figure that all out at the start some people write a backstory for their character and go like a novel i'll type a few pages to figure out where they came from who they are what their personality traits by all means you can do that if that'll help you sometimes with people i go concept i'm a i'm a thief who uh, stole as a heart of gold and bad stuff happened to me. What's the bad stuff? Next week we'll find out, uh, kicked out of the village. Next week we find out, then joined the wrong group of bandits and I'm trying to get out. Yes. And, uh, you know, now we take the narrative. But you don't have to be ultra creative from the start and think of all these things. You can start with, I'm Marlon Brando in an elf form. And that's it. <laughs> that's enough. For yeah. week one, that's enough. You can take it one step at a time. You build a cathedral, what do they say? One brick at a time. You don't have to look at the cathedral and go, I can never build that. Enough time, you'll build it. Yeah. And interesting, even just like a name. I've seen names that are totally <laughs> ridiculous. And yeah. off the bat, people are like, that's the dynamic. Everyone's like, well, your name's so proper, you know, um, Duke, I don't know, Emerald basically yeah you some characters just coming in with a name that's really awesome or just sort of implies poshness or kind of full of it or whatever people will immediately have an interaction oh this character is you know is from a poor background or and so they don't like this guy or this character is immediately friends or everyone's just having a go at him and a bit of fun and so it's those little inspirations that can go a long way that people kind of pick up so you yeah. As you said, small pieces can be grown into character-defining traits. You also find that together. The onus isn't just on you. You sit with a group, and quite often I start off with this guy, and then the party, which is your friends playing with you, you generally form a party, as in you adventure together, and you solve mysteries together, you defeat foes together. That's what we call a party. And when the party asks you, or sometimes they interact with you, and they go like, Hang on, I trust this guy. I think like, you're good at talking to merchants and getting us discount. And now suddenly you're like, I didn't think of myself that way. I thought I was just charming at, you know, I was in a band playing the lute at yes. the local tavern. But you know what? I'm now our negotiator. And you know what? He's more business savvy than I thought. And the party or friends gave you that idea because they, they saw something in your character that you maybe didn't. So, um, and by all means, to ask your players, players in sessions I've been in, too seldom do players ask each other, maybe after the session, to not break immersion. You know, when you're really imagining this world, you try not to focus too much on the real world or like, how do I play this or that? It's nice to have people's focus for as long as we can. 
and yes. um, keep the engagement, right? You know, keep keep the engagement, and keep the, the suspension of disbelief, and all that. Um, uh, groups have different attention spans for that, but I'm just saying, like sometimes before, or after a setting, I think good communication, like any relationship, any any group of friends, it's good to ask in role playing, like. Guys, I don't know, my character feels one-dimensional. What can I introduce? Ask them, and they'll tell you. It's an interesting guy, but he's just thieving stuff at the moment. He's just nicking everything he finds. Why, why is he doing that? Ask why. What's he, what void is he trying to fill? No one just steals for fun. Okay, he wants money. For what? It's like, oh, he wants to overthrow that evil government that is enslaving his people. Suddenly the thief has a, has a valid reason. He wants yeah. money to go th- uh, topple a corrupt government. That's an interesting yes. character. But your friends might tell you, so ask them. Say I'm stuck in a rut. Is there something I can add to my character? Or tell someone else. Okay, you don't actually wait for them to ask. It's not good to go, I think your character would be more interesting if you did this or that. That's yeah, actually, yeah. people might not, they might like how their character is and they'll see that as criticism of themselves. The character yeah, would yeah. be an extension. They'd like... They become our babies after we've played them for a few years. No one wants to be told yeah. they have an ugly baby, <laughs> as, this, as the expression goes. So don't just go, your baby's not pretty. Go like, you're liking your character, loving, yeah, I don't know. Maybe he needs a new, new source of inspiration. Give it to them. Yeah, I think this sort of indicates like some of the benefits of role-playing that comes through. You're engaging in hypothetical scenarios. You can work out, you can work out problem-solving, dealing with problematic characters or people yeah. or, or forming friendships or you know exercising creativity of being confident in a group being comfortable that your ideas are good or funny or people just accept it oh that was a silly idea or maybe that's part of the fun or maybe no one's gonna scold you out everyone there's for fun so it's kind of like almost in a way like simulating a part of life but in a fun interactive way that's not yeah. stressful you know more people role played that a lot of things maybe might improve you know people just accepting of differences Ooh, different characters have different things that might be yeah. parallels to real world or just not overstepping bounds Ooh, my, i'm having fun because my character can do that i don't really want to tarnish that no, no one likes to ruin the fun it's yeah, like yeah. oh your person loves that sword well i'm just gonna snap that sword in half and throw it in the river now the guy doesn't have that cool sword <laughs> he's playing with it, i mean that could be funny but also that mindfulness it's quite it feels more easy and approachable when you're in the setting of hey we're all in this together we're all just trying to have fun and there's that shared sense of of goal of purpose and of just desire to be a conducive table and i think maybe experiencing that enough can translate into the real world of you know being accepting being able to handle people scenarios yeah. and just being playful having fun and not being scared to be yourself in a safe setting. Yeah, that's the key, that safe setting. And it's maybe if, if you're new to role playing and you're, you're joining a new group, um, you might have to, at the start, ask people what they're like, what they find fun. Players in the characters in the game might not see eye to eye. That could be good. That might be an, a, a compelling story. Some friction in the world would be good. Gimli and Legolas had a go at each other at the start, right? Then they became friends. They weren't always like, well, we're in a party together now, we'd better work together. That would have been a boring movie. It's like, I'll never see an elf carry this thing, you know, and it's like some prejudice there towards the elves. That's good if the players have it. But I want to say it's very important to distinguish the characters from the players. And I almost want to say the players must always be on the same team. 
And I'd say in role-playing settings, like with more than any other game I've seen, if there's friction in the real world, talk it out. And like in any conflict resolution, I mean, reading up a conflict resolution is probably actually a good thing if you really want to go that far. But there are techniques and things. And by all means, sometimes in real life, there's a conflict between players with different personalities. If you don't resolve that in-game, players are going to trade on each other's toes. They're going to have different ideas. And that leads to resentment. You know, festering the real world, I'd say, sort out the real world. Be on this, always on the same team in your role-playing group. Characters can do what they want, but if you know this person doesn't deliberately want to, you know, screw you over, uh, they're going to honor your suggestions. They want you to also have a compelling story and character. They don't want their character's arc or narrative to, you know, infringe on yours and, and take away from yours. And I'd say, you know, like with anything in real life, it's vital, especially with the game master. You've, you're not just the empire of the rules. The yeah. game master, unfortunately, has to also probably yeah. be the one to go. I can see you two people in the real world aren't seeing eye to eye and struggling. Is there something we can do a compromise? Like with anything in real life. Yes. Either compromise, find a solution, hear the perspectives. Maybe they just misunderstood each other. Hug and make up or sometimes like find a different group. Like people sometimes don't get along. You, you can't always sit with people that you find toxic for you. No, you know, even if they're not bad people, yeah. there's things like, you know, personality <laughs> clashes yeah, or just inherent differences. Natural. But you can always it find happens. a nice crowd that's a big community but you also yeah, highlight yeah. the benefits of like even just being the game master like you learn how to to manage people how to deal with you know problematic conflict or people yeah. dynamics or just bring up the best in people help them thrive you know generate a story that keeps people compelled and you're like oh, they're not really enjoying that oh let, let's enjoy this so it's like it's just little instances of people skills that are just thrown here and there that you don't think about but it's a really cool Area. I want to go into yeah, the yeah. the role playing as a what's there. So to me, like a role playing game's got you know four sort of core aspects. There's character creation. We've gone over nicely, but then the game itself, like what's drawing people in? Storytelling and humor and combat. I lean more towards the humor and storytelling, but these are all relevant areas that you know different players or game masters will focus on more someone will, might you know almost have no comment be just a oh, fun story or very serious story someone might be like oh let's just mess around you know uh, jokes and such someone might be oh let's just fight to the death and that's kind of badass and more board gamery yeah and so what do you think are good ways to to implement these well combat's the easier one and it's it's usually the one that in my experience, most players gravitate towards because that does play out more like a board game, like you say, because if you play something like Dungeons and Dragons, World of Darkness, Legend of the Five Rings, they're all these systems and they have different rule systems for how combat plays out, almost like a different board game. And the combat in D&D is a bit more rigid. You've got these stats on that character sheet saying, this is how well I fight with the sword in my hand, the spell that I cast. And then generally combat if the story in the story say you're fighting these five orcs and it's now but they just invaded the town and you're in a tavern so you've got a setting you've got dimensions for the room that you're in the tavern has you know this many meters by that many meters or feet usually in the games and now there are rules to how fast you can move in that space how hard you can hit with your attack how 
how many hit points does the orc have that's literally how long they're you know how much damage they can take how many hits they can take before they go down and there are somewhat rigid rules with a little bit of create a flare that you can add to it but it's going to boil down to this is how much damage you can do this is how quickly you can kill that orc or maybe you want to knock him unconscious of course yes. you can just try and punch him unconscious instead of killing him because he has vital information or you don't want to kill orcs because your character's a pacifist yes and uh, of course i have to kill them but often in dnd it is brutal it's like lord of the rings the orcs are here to kill you you have to fight back and the combat plays out according to the rules the players roll a lot of dice which adds that little bit of why gambling is addictive to humans like yeah. you roll the dice you're like oh crap oh i didn't hit oh no and i'm gonna die before him it's i'm, I'm on one hit point one more you know slight punch to my to my arm and i'm gonna topple over and yeah it adds stakes and excitement yeah yeah exactly so combat because it's so random and you have this agency of the dice roll which you roll yourself even though you don't really know where it's gonna land but rolling it is addictive and you have your character's fate in your own hand yes. by the roll of a die and it's very addictive and most people get gravitated towards that and plus what you do is epic in and of itself because how many of us in real life get to fight with swords to the death not yeah. suggesting it probably won't be as fun as in fiction yeah it's good escape. More. <laughs> i'm glad we don't live in that world anymore but it's great escapism right and that's why combat is one of the more fun parts of the game but if you've done a lot 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 of combat it also becomes more monotonous it's not as expansive and as broad and as interesting as telling a compelling narrative or develop character development as more degrees of freedom and places it can go. So I'd almost say with the, with storytelling in, in a role-playing game, that's the harder one to do. And the onus there is a lot more on the game master to create the outlines of a world. Usually what a good dungeon master or game master would do is create the outlines or do what they call world building, create a compelling world in which this takes place with certain rules, cultures, societies, types of people, you know, what, what does the economy look like? Are there wars waging? What's, what's the situation they find themselves in? And then the narrative will, unf will unfold within that world because the, the game master can't write a story like a, a novel and go, it's going to start here, then this is act two, this is act three, this is where the betrayal happens. Yeah. You know, it's up to the players when that happens. So what are your thoughts about the balance between storytelling, humor and combat? How that should be? What situation leads to a, a leaning towards one over the other? Yeah, generally player preferences or what the game master throws at them but obviously you you could have very combat heavy campaigns or sessions uh, where most of it i've been in these where most of the sessions are spent uh doing the fighting in game using the rule system lots of dice rolls lots of fighting lots of killing random enemies defending towns slaying epic foes and dragons and a lot of people really enjoy that that's their the most enjoyable part of the game for them but for some people that want to develop their characters you can't develop your character very much in the midst of combat you might yeah. be somewhat traumatized you might go i believe i can do this i have a surge of inspiration hope of course that can happen but how do you express that whilst fighting it there's not much opportunity for it generally in movies right 
The core character development of Lord of the Rings is not in the middle of the fights. No, yeah, well, it's they don't have time to like, like share their backstory while they're stabbing <laughs> some orcs. And, yeah. you know, like a compelling narrative doesn't have much time to happen when someone's trying to tattoo. It's like, yeah, I'm trying to murder people. So maybe you hold the conversation to the, the side. Anime does that. But that's why they tend to go on for many, many, many episodes because they pause, even though the fight's one minute, but they pause. And now for 10 minutes, the guy's going to go, suddenly I realize why my child it was messed up <laughs> and that's anime okay that yeah. you can do that in a setting by all means you can have the anime setting or employ those tropes in, in your game but generally character development is not in the midst of combat but some players will like combat some like storytelling and i think it's important to know what your players are as a game master starting out i'd say recruit players that at least like the same type of game with the same general amount of fighting versus storytelling versus role-playing how I distinguish role-playing and story is story is literally like where the plot's going, you know, like you'd find in any narrative. But role-playing are often those unscripted moments. You talk to the merchant, find out that, you know, he just inherited the shop, the blacksmith, and he's actually struggling to make ends meet. It's maybe not a key plot point. It's not needed to advance the plot, but it's a way for your character to interact with someone else. You help them out by paying extra for the sword and say, put the rest towards the shop. He thanks you. He gives you his old grandfather's shield as a reward because yes. for your kindness you know maybe that was like whatever the story didn't need that but that was a bit of you exploring your humanity your story i love those encounters other people go was well, that necessary buy the item get in the combat kill the orcs yeah we have a dragon to kill after all and some people just go i want to see where the story goes so there are the role-playing moments, there are the big story arc moments there are the combat moments that more akin to a board game like you've said where people roll dice, see how epic their characters can be, how, how many foes they can slay with their new great sword that they wield in two hands. Yes. And they're this giant of a man, eight feet tall, giant. You can cleave everyone with like a whirlwind. Um, some people like that. They get the feeling they get from that. I like the feeling of my character learning something about themselves. But it's important when you start off with a group is ask them. Ask your players, especially as a game master, ask them, what, what do you like? Do, do you like mostly the combat bits? Do you like acting the character out? Do you like doing the voices? Do you like the compelling narrative and finding out how the kingdoms conspire to overthrow each other and block the yeah. trade routes uh, to make sure no iron goes into my rival kingdom's mines or out of the mines yes. so that their armies will be crippled in years to come? Some people go, oh, that's interesting. Um, Knowing what players want and then maybe finding compromise, uh, give everyone a bit of everything, or if they're too vastly different, go, well, two separate sessions, or say you're the only one that doesn't like this, maybe we need to find another group. I don't know what's a, an eloquent way to handle that, but sometimes some players just don't like the vibe. I've been in groups where all we do is fight, and I, didn't, I ended up leaving those groups, no hard feelings, but I was like, this isn't exactly what I want from the game. Again, communication, like with any group of yeah, people. Yeah, you're looking to have fun, right? You're, you're, yeah, you're there yeah. for your own experience and yeah. also to have fun with others and not kind of be that sulky guy on the side. You want to be like someone who brings excitement, not someone who's like, uh, you know. But yeah, let's yeah. talk on combat. So there's different ways to implement combat. Yeah. And so let's chat on a few. So, you know, D&D specifically will have 
you know, you'll have weapons or, or different means of combat and you'll roll dice. So maybe your sword requires you to roll two six-sided dice called, you know, that'd be D6s and whatever that total is deducts from a life pool of an enemy character. And so that hits zero, they're dead. Um, or some role-playing systems may be more simplistic. You roll D20, well, we interpret the outcome purely, oh, you rolled like a... At 20, you, you punched him and he exploded, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah one, and, uh, one, one dice roll and, and that's the outcome we're going to interpret how the story evolves depending on the degree of success, right? Yes. That's, that's viable. And yeah. uh, even some combat styles is card-based. You know, you're drawing cards from a deck or, you know, you draw multiple cards and um, based on what you draw, different combat things might happen. What alternate combat systems have you seen that were quite interesting? Well, I can maybe mention Legend of the Five Rings, the, the new edition, as a very interesting. It has custom dice that doesn't just have numbers on. It has three symbols. One is called strife, one is a success, and one is opportunity. Yeah. And everything you roll in the combat is a combination of those. But this is set in a feudal Japanese setting, like samurai films. So it's very much catered to advance the types of stories, types of narratives that you find in those Kurosawa, you know, uh, style movies. Yeah. Uh, and it's perfect for that. Like, for instance, uh, the strife symbol is internal strife. And that could be anything. That could be currently I'm being jealous. That samurai that you're playing is being jealous or wrathful or upset, sad. And strife is enhancing whatever emotion you're currently feeling. So. There's also a mechanic on your character sheet saying your limit is eight strife. So in the midst of combat, you're meeting the man who murdered your sister and you want to avenge her. But if I keep rolling strife, if I max out the strife, my composure breaks. And then I'm going to attack a lot more recklessly. So imagine in the movie, like strife is filled up and I'm like, I cannot take it anymore. I'm going to kill him right now. And I just flail mindlessly but I've let my composure my fighting style is not as refined now and yes. he has the upper hand psychologically and that's how humans work D&D doesn't cater for that well means in Dungeons and Dragons you can do that because creativity is you know the sky's the limit with your creativity but you have to constantly shoehorn that in yourself whereas in Legend of the Five Rings that's a core part of the game because it's a core part to know how your emotional state it's part of how you swing that katana. And yes. that's part of that type of style of film or movie as well. So strife builds up. I have to keep my composure or I don't fight as well as I can. Uh, the success is merely, um, the more successes I roll, the greater I succeed at trying to hit my opponent, subdue them, whatever I'm trying to do. And opportunity is neither of those. It's merely like, if I get no successes, but I get a lot of opportunity roll than my dice, it's like I swing and I miss. He dodges the last second, but corner of my eye, I see that his armor has a plate missing. And I'm like, there's a gap in his armor. It's this huge man on horseback with plate mail. I cannot seem to penetrate his armor, but I saw a gap. So now next time the game master might say, because you rolled high on opportunity, I'm going to give you a reduced number of successes needed to hit him next time because you know where his armor is at its weakest. Yes. But that's just the game system helping you to tell these stories. Because to be fair, the combat's still a story, right? It's still a narrative in a way of how did they fight? Who dodged when? Who no. got hurt? It's an action scene. It's, it's an action scene, yeah. yes. And um, the game systems help describe how that is. But obviously, with a, there's always the flair from the players. The game just says he, he's lost half of his life well, what's half? 
What yeah. does that relate? What does that translate to in the real world? Well, that's where either the game master or the players. I like to asking my players if they're willing. Okay, you did a lot of damage to him. What do you think you did? And I like that gives players a chance to describe. Usually, the the responsibility just falls on the game master to keep coming up with descriptions. I like if the players are willing. Maybe they need to have a few sessions, find their feet. But I go, okay, you really hurt him. Describe what you did. You didn't kill him, but you really hurt him. It's like, well, I stabbed him and. And the side of the arm and, you know, his left arm is disabled. And I go, well, I can't quite make him drop his left arm. I don't think there's enough damage for that. So that's where, yes. where I'm the umpire. Is that I'm like, well, how about he's just badly bruised on the shoulder and he's really, it's really stinging. But I can describe the action sequence of like, what I do? I slide under the table, then I swing. He jumps up and stands on top of my sword and laughs at me because... He rolled a 20, I rolled a 1. Uh, so we get to also act out and describe these action scenes uh, and infer them from, from the degree of success of the dice rolls, if all that makes sense. Yeah, no, 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 it uh, does. And, you know, there's an interesting one, uh, Call of Cthulhu, that I think of where they attach combat, but also they attach it to this sanity, or more so insanity, <laughs> yeah. where you're taking a personal psychological aspect and tying it into the combat effectiveness as two parallels, because in Cthulhu realms, you know, it's cults, it's evil monsters, and it's creepy and horror, and so the characters going through these stories start losing their sanity. But as they lose their sanity, it gets harder and harder to survive this world. And if you go fully insane, all is lost. And so yeah. when you're in combat, if you're more insane, well, firstly, insanity may give you negative things. Like now you're trying to fight and now the voices on you're talking in your head and they're distracting you or whatever, or, you know, so those more impairments, but more so you have to roll like under a certain number but the more insane you are, the smaller the window gets. So it's like, you know, after all, under 60, oh, that's easy. But then I'm, now I'm half insane. Now I have to run, roll under, you know, 30 or something. And so it's the yeah. element of incremental, and it's very unforgiving. It's the reverse. Normally a game would say, okay, cool, you guys are struggling. Let's give you a bit of an age, you know, making things a bit easier, you know, a handicap just because you guys are about to die and we want to keep people alive. Normally, not always. <laughs> But yeah. in this one, it's just, it just builds you down. While you guys are struggling, you're all flipping going crazy. We're going to make it hard as hell so that you guys are basically going to either have near impossible roles and you have to get super lucky and you win, or, you know, the world turns to, to ash and darkness. And so yeah. the game ends in a horrific scene and Cthulhu is summoned. That's baked into the Call of Cthulhu games because they're very horror-based. Yes. And they're designed to be punishing and unforgiving, much more than Dungeons and Dragons. But the players should be aware of that when they play it, because that makes a horror setting more compelling and more immersive, because it's like, oh God, not only am I struggling with my ailing health, but I'm also going slowly insane due to the horrors I've seen. But then it gets harder and harder, but it's like, it's good for that type of game. There's yes. a reason why... Same with the samurai thing I described of those rules fit a epic samurai duel. So the rule systems add all these nice flavors. They're almost little training wheels for you to... You can use your imagination to describe a character going insane at any time. But it's great how these systems have found rules to absolutely kickstart and like add that little bit of flame, that synergy to the role playing go. 
well, it's a horror setting. You're going to go insane. How do you act? How do you feel? Yes. Oh God, all hope is lost because my window for success has become so small. I have to roll very high to just survive. Yes. Uh, and it's great how, how these systems uh, help you create the atmosphere that's needed for the genre, you know? Yes. Yeah. So, no, it's, it's very uh, interesting. In board games, we call it maybe uh, the thematic tie-in to combat where combat or mechanic feels like it's doing the thing you know like when the heart rolls get harder and the impairments increase you feel like you're going insane and you feel like you're struggling more and more so on the summary game you feel like you're you're, you're dealing with emotions and opportunities or in dnd you know you you're feeling like you're dealing with um, precision and effectiveness of using weapons and so on and so that kind of creates an immersion beyond you know a very generic you know roll roll x get number y and that's it as opposed to feeling like the way you're using combat is almost doing the action itself or role playing itself purely mechanically so you know sometimes mechanics can be role playing themselves yeah yeah, yeah. no i think the good systems facilitate that certainly yeah and so when i think of a you know a memorable combat story this this sort of one that uh, comes to mind where these guys are this was in a zombie universe where you know there's a zombie outbreak and you know the world's in post-apocalyptic so on and so they're at this creepy carnival because who doesn't like terrifying clowns and you know ferris wheels that spin on their own and whatever and so they're, anyways, the carnival zombie folk are attacking them, and so they're slaying them, and, you know, there's just kind of half alive, well, half dismembered bodies, like, crawling after them, and so they have to deal with that, and, you know, there's some unicycle guy rides in or whatever, and so this one character, you know, decides to climb on top of a ferris wheel with a sniper, and, you know, starts shooting from afar, while the other guys are, like, flipping, pushing, you know, almost holding the mouths of these, you know, um, salivating clowns that are attacking them at bay. And so, anyways, he shoots the, I think, the support structure of the ferris wheel, and the ferris wheel starts, starts rolling. And so he's like rolling, kind of firing at this thing, like, so it's kind of like a real-time scene of like, cool, I described that. Then you describe them on the ground, but it's quite like back and forth. And so anyways, he's shooting, shooting, and then this Ferris wheel basically goes through the tent and kills like a whole bunch of enemies, including one of the bosses or whatever. And then he falls off the Ferris wheel and basically hurts himself to a degree that's unrecoverable and so they recover his body but then basically his head's recovered and detached to like a cyborg and whatever so (laughs) you know that's just a good example of the dynamicness that common can have there can be this aspect of this character's using a very unique mechanic these guys are fronting in the front line this person's maybe casting spells to aid with stats and protect this person's maybe just pursuing a is sneaking uh, we're right, trying to find a hidden weapon or exit and so yeah. there's so many avenues to these kind of diverse combat experiences you can have and moments and 
almost real time feel. I mean, so yeah, like, yeah. for you, like a good example of a like a combat scene that you remember. A, a fun combat scene. The one that springs to mind was again Legend of the Five Rings. So this is feudal Japan. So imagine Edo period. Um, Japan. They had these bathhouses. They still have them, the onsen in modern day Japan, big part of their culture. So um, the one that I remember was a combat encounter that was meant to take a bit longer. It wasn't even meant to happen, but it was resolved in one die being rolled. So my cousin played this character, Daidoji Yoshi, it was called. Ooh, that sounds badass. Yeah. He, well, he was, he was medium sized. He was, he was a big guy. Now, one of the sumo wrestlers talking some smack with him in the bathhouse because he was from a different clan and he's talking smack back and we're doing a few roles to you know see if it broke this guy's composure so obviously in that culture they don't randomly start fights but when it's similar races of the bathhouse they're a belligerent bunch they've gone to war and this time it was waging clan clan still waging war at the time so even though you think samurai don't just start fights well obviously it's someone from a different clan who they don't like giving them some lip and they're a bunch of young men. I don't know. They were like 18, 19 that they were playing. Yes. Like humans are humans and they're yeah, going to get into a fight. Cocky, people are, and then yeah. a fight broke out. So he was like, but they're in the bathhouse. They have no weapons. But this game had a system where if you roll maximum, if you roll a 10, you can re-roll again. My cousin rolls a 10 like three times in a row or something. Something hey. absurd like that. I can't remember. It was something that almost never happens. It was something yes. totally, completely obscene. So he rolled for damage. To hit this guy he's just like no the sumo wrestler is starting to swing he misses cousin's just like okay yoshi's gonna just floor the sumo wrestler he doesn't care how big he is but he was also a big warrior type samurai and he throws this punch and the game's rules are just like you can keep rolling and he does this one in a thousand five thousand roll and the game master is like well the guy's dead <laughs> just immediately no that can happen i know it's yeah. unlikely but in real life you can punch someone once and it just breaks their neck or something the sumo wrestlers are not quite esteemed or important in society. So one punch, he takes out the sumo wrestler and we had for the next session had to deal with the ramifications of him killing this person. I mean, fights and brawls break out, but you have to kill him. I mean, it's still a feat like no other. Everyone's like, how the hell did he do that? Respect. But now the other clan is angry at ours and now there's diplomatic fallout. So we had to shoehorn in a story or a plot that we never planned. We had other Just things on to the do, him trying to clear his name, otherwise he has to commit seppuku. Because it's like, well, you killed him, honor to yes. to, you've dishonored your clan, you must take your own life. So we were going to lose one of our players because he had to take his own life by their, you know, code of honor by Bushido. So we had to do this extra narrative. We did end up saving his character, but he had to do something so great. And we had to save the kingdom from some diplomatic emergency or rival clan destroying our kingdom. It was like, well, you've become such a hero that, you know, we forgive you for that. Yeah, yeah. But that wasn't planned. The dice roll made us kill a sumo wrestler with one punch. That's the beauty. <laughs> you never know in role playing what's going to happen. Yeah, That's crazy. It's yeah. like punch shatters his collarbone or something. You know, he's yeah, just done. It was, it's one of those rolls, man. It's <laughs> crazy. And yeah, sometimes yeah. it goes the other way. You just roll ones and you lose against an opponent you should never lose against. You're dishonored. You're humiliated. And now you have to deal with the fallout. Your characters maybe lost their self-confidence. And yeah, it can go either way. Eh? Yeah. Rollo one trips, falls on his own sword. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it happens. A anything can happen. And so, you know, role-playing games, there's different uh, types, you know, beyond sort of the D&D &D and 
you know, the whole realm of fantasy-based ones. What sort of uh, games have, you know, emerged over the years, like in settings and, you know, what you're actually doing and who your characters are? World of Darkness is a very broad uh, series of campaigns. Uh, what people are most familiar with is the Vampire the Masquerade um, computer games like Bloodlines. It was a very popular uh, role-playing game on computer, uh, but that was based on role-playing, tabletop role-playing books in the World of Darkness. And World of Darkness had a vampire set of books. It had werewolf, it had mage, and it had changeling, and it had quite a few. What made that fun is it was all in the same world, but it was kind of like, imagine the world of the series like Supernatural, um, where there are these creatures out, but it's set in the real world. Yes. And you can play a vampire and deal with the trauma of not being able to see your family by having to feed off of humans. Vampires are actually very emotional. They're not dead really, but they're emotionally quite alive and have to wrestle, wrestle with, a lot, with a lot of intense emotions. Werewolves have their own things and mages almost like real life. It's more of a magical realism type setting. Uh, the one I enjoyed most was Core World of Dark, where you play human or hunter of the supernatural set in the real world. Imagine World of Darkness as the whole world is Gotham City. Yes. That's a good way to pitch it. It's the whole world's like Gotham. It's there, it's it's hanging by a thread though. It's rough out there. It's very dark, but it's the real world we know, all the same technology. Um for me that was the most immersive because I wasn't the big bad as vampire killing people. I played this boxer from the UK actually lost his license or something he did something illegal so it was this disgraced ex-boxer type uh, fighter guy from the UK and he just did this as mercenary work because he used to be strong and used to be a good fighter just to make money but now he's fighting these supernatural things that are much more powerful but he has to get illegal weapons and yeah. special silver crosses and this and that and he has to really we use his best wits and make allies and take some big risks to just try and find his way in this world and try and sometimes take out these much more powerful beings. And that made the world more immersive to me because being the underdog, being that small guy and having to really fight for your life is better than just going, I'm a vampire that can turn into mist. Exalted, I never played. There you're like an overpowered anime style character. If you want, want to fly through the air like Goku or someone, then... Exalted can yep. work for you, but that's also very old. Uh, to add a, a comedic comparison, because systems cover all sorts of aspects, there's one called The Honey Heist. It's a indie popular, it's informal, as it's in the sense it's an indie developer, someone who's made it, and then some community who've cultivated it, which is a great aspect, is that the communities build stuff, as well as companies invest. So you got the whole spectrum. And so in this one, you're a bunch of bears, and there's different types <laughs> of bears. And the character creation is super simple. There's a couple things you roll a d6. And it'll be like, you know, you have six possible character traits in that sphere. And so you build this character quickly. It's a one shot. And your bears, these, all these bears are on a heist. So the heist is to get honey. And so somewhere, you know, there's honey that you have to get. And, you know, I remember one where there's this dance festival and the bears are outside in the perimeter and they're trying to break in and to steal the honey that's hidden behind the DJ booth or something. And so you have to sneak past the guards and what, what kind of things do bears have? So maybe they have like a jar of bees they can unleash or 
I don't know, claws they can attack with or something collected from nature or, you know, vines or whatever. And so using the thematic outlets, you have to do a heist and cool sneak in and, you know, I don't know, someone sets detonator charge to distract people or break into a safe. And you're regular bear. You're, you're a bear. You're a bear. You're just yeah, a bear. Yeah. A bit more intelligent because you're going to use human intellect. Yeah, you are literally bears. Showing you're just bears. And it's so, it's so great. It's very fun. And so <laughs> as bears, and the thing is you can't communicate with humans. Like if you start speaking and there's a human, they're like, you know, they you know, growling noises. And so you kind of, so that's like a more comedic one. Amazing. Uh, one of my systems is example is that everyone's believes in conspiracy theories. And it's kind of like a suicide squad parallel of, you know, all these people have been given one last chance you know here's a charge in your head you accomplish this mission or you die together and so they all have to kind of prove that the conspiracies are real or there's some aspect of that otherwise they're declared insane which is a problem <laughs> probably right. and so that's a different kind of world building where these kind of some of these things are true some of them not there's a bit of a conspiracy with the government covering up the moon landing there was a conspiracy of maybe there's yeah, aliens implanted like lizards amongst us. And so that inherently adds a comedic feel of ridiculousness and, you know, a bit more wonky plots, but still is there for fun. It can still be immersive, um, but it's going for obviously a bit of a wilder flavor from the get go. So you can have things that are very serious, very well constructed, very professional, or things that are a bit sillier side. So there's the whole spectrum. I think on systems i mean there's a wacky races equivalent where you're all skunks and things that have these cars you build up and go on a wacky race that's an established system dune's got a system now that's very complex yeah. it has like if there's three combat systems whether you're in all out controlling the war as a commander or one-to-one -one combat or group combat there's systems and but then there's the political intrigue on alien worlds and all that and so those are some of the best. This just sounds so exciting to me, exploring all these worlds. But I think it almost feels like if I suddenly put myself now in the shoes of someone who's never played a role-playing game, this must seem both interesting, exciting, just so daunting. I know we've spoken about this earlier, but I'm almost like, yeah. just remember Rome is not built in a day. Like, you start off just going, you're the commander in the, in the army, uh, of the Harkonnens or whatever you're in, yeah. in Dune and the first session is just learning who your lieutenants are and who you can trust and who you think are the baddies and what's the general situation like with the Fremen on the planet so that's session one it's like basics what's the diplomatic next week we do this so it's like it yeah. seems like I could never come up with that this seems too daunting too out there and it's like Find a good, find an experienced game master, and like you'll yeah. you'll build it one brick at a time. One session is that one brick, and before you know it, you're caught up in this interesting vast world. But take it, take it one yeah. day at a time. Does it, it does have a series pacing, like, like you watch yeah. a Netflix show. They're not going to bombard you unless you Game of Thrones with twenty <laughs> characters and you know yeah. five plot twists and whatever. Yeah. There's incremental. First, no, get to know your characters. You're in a simple, you know, household or yeah. job or something. Uh, next step, maybe you meet. You meet some other characters in this world that can, for some reason, ha need to work together, and then, then you find out there's some evil entity or some plots, and then you, you go on an adventure, and then you start. There's a plot twist, or something happens, or one of your characters is a betrayer, or has some dark secret, yeah. and so very incrementally, 
um, happens. Like, it's very rare, I think, actually in role-playing to be bombarded with information. It's normally very incremental. There's like, no one like, yeah. will give you a massive script that's read and you have to process this like 20 elements to a plot. It's very um, gradual. You can take someone who's like their first game in role-playing and they rock up and you're like, yeah, just five minutes, we, get, we just give you the template of a character, boom, you know, we just give you a basic backstory, a little bit of an intro, you get going, you just walking around a village a bit and you learn the mechanics as you go and you know they set sail from the get-go it's not overwhelming they're in they're having fun yeah and it's worth saying with all of that because it takes a long time to build that up you can do a quick self-contained story one week but the best most compelling narratives campaigns all the rest of it are when you play as a hobby like how people go to the club every week to play a sport or the golf club whatever like it's generally not something you can do just once i would the golf once in 10 years is going to be very hard it takes practice and it's also you you learn the world and the players and how the, the people themselves play play along with you how the world interacts how the politics of this realm evolves and it's why it's so compelling to keep going back and why i'm always hungry for more role playing is because it's endless. There's always a new yes. story to be told, maybe in a different setting, but it is going to take long to make, make these stories come together um, and yeah. take one brick at a time. It's beautiful when it comes together. Though. It really is. It's, it's something special. And so these games, right, they're run by a game, game master or in you know, D&D, a dungeon master, which is the equivalent. And so tell us what it's like to run a game and what are the do's and don'ts? <sighs> yeah. What's the experience like? There's a lot more of a burden on your shoulders because you are mainly a storyteller. And I think quite often the players, they have a, an input, like I've said, but they'll say, we want to travel there. We're going down the left corridor. We decide to attack the evil tyrant king. If we do not slay him now, his, I don't care if the gods will be called upon us, his treachery can no longer be tolerated. This puts us in a bad diplomatic position. They make that choice, but now... I will let them do that because they can do what they want. They can do anything they want. But as a game master, I have to now go, oh crap, I didn't expect them to attack the tyrant king. What are the neighboring factions and cities going to think of this? Does this paint a target on their back? I have to think how this impacts the world that's not in the control of the players. Because the players can only say what their characters. But I have to decide, oh, what did that other guy that they'll likely meet? Because the game master plays everyone else in the world. That's not the players. I am everyone else. I have to say, the neighboring king sees it as an opportunity to invade that kingdom. He will see this as a sign they're crippled boys, let's get him. Or maybe not. But I have to now decide how to react to the information that the players, the decisions they made. So there's a lot on me. I have to do a lot of preparation as far as I can. The problem is I can't prep what happens because the players are going to surprise me. I can prep. I generally started prepping less and less as I got more experience with Dungeon Monster. I used to prepare, decide everything that can possibly happen, but you cannot take all eventualities. They take the air vent, like I said earlier, instead of the two corridors. Yes. So I, I find it better to go, these are the motivations of the key actors in the plot. And what do they want? I know what they want. This guy wants to expand his territory. Then all I go is I go to my prep sheet and go, neighboring kingdom, Oh, he was the evil duke. Ooh, no, no, he, he wants more power. He wants more territory. Oh, no, he's a benevolent king. Now he'd, he'd send a diplomat. So if I know what they want, I know how to react to the situation. 
I think improv really helped me with this. With your characters as well, think of the, so this is a big do I'm gonna add to what you're saying is, uh, if you think in terms of your non-player characters, they call them NPCs, they're everyone who's not the players, NPCs. If you think about what their motivations are, what they want, what they don't want, what their personality is broadly, it can, I can even just make a quick note and say, he's like, uh, like Bruce Willis in Die Hard. Done. It's good enough. That's his personality. I'll change his accent a bit. Doesn't matter. I know exactly what his temperament is like and what's his personality. And I know how that Bruce Willis is going to react. It's fine. You can use that as a little to shoo on things in. Yeah. Now when something happens, I know exactly how to react to whatever eventuality, what exact thing happens in the plot, because I can't plan for everything that physically happens. So that's good being a dungeon master or game master is understand the motivations of the actors and understand maybe where some things like let's say some things happen organically in the world a volcano is going to erupt five days from now maybe that's the main thing that the story is about the players can't control that so that can be something that's fixed part of my story is the volcano is going to erupt and what's the fallout of that going to be Pompeii the campaign setting alternate history where we're going to stop the volcano from erupting doesn't matter so I can maybe create a rough timeline of events and the players are going to have to fall within those timelines. So it depends how freeform you want to be. You can be very sandbox, very random. Uh, there are various resources. So one of the do's, last do I want to add is read literature on, on uh, dungeon mastering or game mastering. There's a book called The Lazy, the Lazy Game Master's Rule Book. The whole premise of that, it's a short, short book. It really helped me, taught me how to prepare just the essentials. It's like don't over-prepare. The players never do everything. They never bite at every hook that you give them. It's prepare these essential things so that you're ready, so that you can adapt to everything. So that was simply, being a game master is a craft that you hone, that you get better at with exercise and by doing it regularly um, and keep trying to improve your craft every session and you'll eventually learn what works for you. I can't tell you the exact way to do it. Um, one of the don'ts is don't block players. Don't refuse to honor their suggestions as far as possible. I've done that often where I'm like, no, no, the plot has to go on. This is going to happen. Players give me a suggestion of, oh, I'd want my character to do this. And I go, well, it doesn't fit the story. And I say, no, try and say yes to players. And like with improv, they say yes and. Players, when they come up with a creative idea and you can see it means something to them. It's not just something they threw out to try and be clever or that they don't care enough about. They're like, oh, I'd love to see this. Make it happen for them as far as possible. Drop your own shit. You're there actually for the players. I think a good game master, don't be selfish with your story. I can say that as a don't. Make it as good for the players as possible and you will also in turn have a fulfilling time as a game master. Um, obviously you have a balancing act on your hands, right? Players like we spoke about, some people want a lot of combat. Some people want to see where the plot goes. So I'd say the biggest do again is really communicate in the real world as well, not just in-game. Check in with the players. Is it going where you want? Are you happy with your character? Was that going too gruesome when I described the scene yeah. of this and that? Like talk to people and be open. And uh, I never did enough communication. So my don'ts were always like, I kept just going, no, no, we've got to do the story, guys. We're, we're not, it's also late. We've got to shoehorn this in. We won't have enough time next week and then I hurry things along and players don't feel listened to and ignored and they don't feel like their characters have gone where, the, where it had to be. So communication, some basic preparation, 
real listening and understanding for your players. Mainly the dungeon master needs a keen awareness and listening for this. Not, not what the character wants, mainly what the player wants, that human being sitting there is coming to a session to be entertained. And God, I'm making it sound like there's a lot on their shoulders, but it, I think it's the yeah. most fulfilling out of all the roles if you can pull it off, because there's a handful of other human beings that go there and you've provided them the vehicle to experience this escapism and this real life character development. And they make it happen. They make the magic happen, but you, you fundamentally create that safe environment and that playground where these imaginations, yes. these, these ideas can thrive. And it can only really happen if you're all on the same page. So God, I just say communicate better, try and improve that. And geez, you can imagine the benefits to you as a human being, as a dungeon master, a game master, if you pull that off. And I mean, I'm still struggling. I'm still learning these things. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a developmental process. You can only get better. But it is a lot on your shoulders, but it's also a lot of fun. You get to think on the spot. You are a key factor in the experience, the enjoyment, how, you know, everything goes smoothly. And you, there's such a broad creativity you can exercise because there's so many like potential scenarios. You've got to think very quickly of kind of like elaborate, maybe plot outcomes for what people did. And, you know, you also got to envision that rules and so on and keep a track of what's going on if there's three locations that people are in you got to track that you know where they are what they're doing bounce back and forth but remember the players are there to also support you as you are to them you know so as you you've mentioned so maybe you know if they have asked them for a suggestion for what happens if they do something what they think will happen or just be like you know i don't have an idea here what do you, what do you guys think remember at the end of the day it's yeah. it's a social experience there's um, no hard rules. There's definitely frameworks and rules to encourage good game design and flow. But at the end of the day, you know, if, if someone makes a mistake, you know, just like chat and be like, cool, how should we resolve this? this <laughs> we don't have to do it in any particular way, but obviously we have to go forward. So to have those open chats about, you know, that went wrong or, oh, I see that area has become more interesting. You're not enjoying that. How do we rope you back in? the characters know out of a scenario how do we kind of bring this back so be open to just taking it where it needs to go don't feel overwhelmed about oh the, the game system says this and now i have to do that and take away from the fun of the game use it as a tool um, and a framework and use the players as a resource and remember yeah. it's all just about an experience I, I would almost say if i could just add a small thing there if you don't mind um the rules, some people follow the rules 100% of the time and like this is the gospel and this is literally what the games rule book says and I can't break that. And I, I firmly am in the camp of their guideline and you're there to tell a story and they're there to help. Like we've described these combat encounters, the rules help you to have, to shoehorn in these character motivations, these narratives. They're a tool, like you've also called it. And if you feel a rule is breaking the immersion, breaking the great story you want to tell, you don't want to constantly break them because players might start not believing the rules or thinking they're arbitrary. So I get you don't do this willy nilly. But if the rules come in the way of telling a compelling story, just vaguely use them as a guideline. Remember, mainly people want to act out a character, you want to tell a story. Um, feel free to change rules or ask the players, are you all in favor of changing this rule? Maybe it needs to be unanimous. Maybe one player is like, you've already run it this way. I like it this way. Maybe 
needs to be unanimous. Your group can decide. But sometimes I've gone, no one likes this rule, right? And they say, no one likes it. Well, why are we keeping a rule? Because this book says, keep the rule. Change it. Change whatever you want for yeah. your group. What, what works for you. Yeah, and then in terms of, um, on a broader sense, uh, your prep is part of creating a, you can either use a pre-existing system or create your own system if you're quite experienced and then create a story. So what is that process? For me, like creating a system is creating a, a tool, a framework that everything can build upon. So, you know, what are the type of locations? What are the types of things that may happen? Maybe even a little bit of the politics. Are you on human planets? Are you on Earth? Are you in another universe? Is this in the past, alternate history? And what type of characters would live in this world? If it's, you know, 1950s classic, there's not going to be maybe Lunatune's characters there, right? There's appropriateness of characters and stuff. Yeah, unless, you know, you're having some weird spin of Space Jam where this happened, which you can do, but just Think about the practical implications of what things you incorporate into your system mean. What the world itself means, the implications when people play, what would happen. Is it all friendly or is when if you destroy that village, there's, there's going to be all out war? I yeah, think- and I mean, just to add, like, worlds need to be internally consistent, logically. People often like, but it's not logical, it's fancy, I could cast spells. What's logical about that? But that's a misunderstanding. Logic is simply you being internally consistent within the rules that you defined for your world. Like you mentioned a world where you're inside John's head and you start a fire as an arson and, and that worked in that world. But if you're a D&D character and you just start a fire willy nilly and it burns down the village and you're like, wait, that's illogical because last week when we played, your character was the good natured paladin that gave money to the poor. I'm like, he wouldn't start the fire. We unless something happened of course a good person could start a fire out of rage or anger that's interesting but characters must be internally consistent the world has certain rules and limits like if it's in the real world someone can't cast a spell why not because we haven't defined it as part of the world so obviously a world players help create it make it believable and they help to not break immersion by slowly defining what's what are the limits of what this world and what the characters personalities would want to Yes. describe, enact all these things. So logic and consistent world building, I think, is important and uh, should be thought through very thoroughly by all I think what like, also leading to is uh, scope. So your world doesn't have to have everything and scope is nice because it creates a unique setting. So yeah. you can decide, does this world have magic? Does this world have advanced science? Is it, you know, yeah. very basic? Is it like they just got stone tools? You don't have to have everything. In fact, that makes it very unique. It would be really cool actually just to have basic stone tools and like weird Flintstone creations or to just be in the modern world. Like, you know, you can actually practically be like, cool, I can you know, take part of this tech and build um, something else, maybe a you know, remote control out of an old computer or something, or you know, um, future science, like a Star Wars thing, or you know, just mages and wizards, or anything else. But those limitations of scope, although they don't have to be hard rules, create unique worlds. And, and yeah. you know, your Wild West thing, they don't have to, you know, one day it's Wild West and the next day 
it's you know being in Cape Town like that <laughs> kind of takes away the uniqueness yeah. of well they could be in Cape Town in another game maybe that's its own system so the world the system yeah. and then systems also when you create a system the basic rules the functionality of when you try to do an action what happens how does the game mechanics create events and decisions is that fair players like a sense of fairness that exactly yeah. and that what they do matters and that systems aren't overly complex and they maybe even thematically tie into what you're doing. What, what do you think are like key things to a successful system? Well, you, you, you hit on fairness and that's, that's a key one that we haven't even touched on. And that's the reason why we have rules is if we just describe, I want to attack him and you roll something and they're equally strong, the two characters, equally good at this thing. And the one person rolls higher than the other. The one rolls higher, the one who rolls lower hits. The other one, you say, no, you miss him. And you're like, but I physically rolled higher than my friend. So there's yeah. this feeling of favoritism. Because sometimes, even subconsciously, we might, due to our own ideas of where the narrative must go, we might accidentally favor the one player's character's outcome. So the rules just make for an indifferent arbiter of what happens. And the GM uses that as a tool to be as impartial as they can be. Sometimes a player wants to do a really strange action that's not obvious in the rules. Because the rules can't describe every action you perform in the real world. Because you can tumble on the table, swing on the chandelier, uh, hold onto the, the balcony uh, and, and then fall on someone's head. And there's no rule specifically for jumping off the balcony onto someone's head. And now the, the game master has to go, you know what, that sounds like the acrobatics role that's covered by the game. You seem to be acrobatic, but maybe it's also athletic in nature because it's a tumble and a roll and a dodge. And, a... and sometimes players go, but hang on, that feels very hard to do. I did something harder earlier that was easier to do. So sometimes unfairness does crop up. Yeah, and... it can feel anti-competitive or can be anti, yeah. the things have weight, decisions have weight and meaning yeah. and there's even a sense of direction as, as pure randomness, you know? Yeah. If I'm very good at something, it should be more likely I can do it, not just who knows. Yeah, so you want that fairness, and you know what, sometimes players still feel hard done by. They're like, well, it's not the dice roll's fault, we invoked the wrong rule. And players feel that, and I say, good rule for me as a game master has always been, you know what, let's chat after the session. Because I've seen people page through rule books and go, here's a rule that's better. And they spend 30 minutes, I've done this many times, 30 minutes out of the combat. So we're out of this world. We all got immersed into this fancy realm. And now we're all talking about a rule book in the real life. Go to page 300. No, no, but read this. And for 30 minutes, we bicker over which rule to have used. And it's, that kills the game. I'd say, like, make a rule. From day one, let players know there's a rule dispute. It's fine. We talk after the session. And from then on, we'll, we'll together in a team decide what's the new rule going forward. We might adapt the game's rule. You can apologize and say, I'll compensate your character in some way or say, sorry, that was the rule we used for today. I'm the umpire. Someone has to make this tough decision and I'm sorry, we'll use your rule next time. Compromise, talk about it, but not during the game session. Let the story unfold that people really, uh, sometimes player get a, players get a bit pedantic or selfish about it. And I think, remember, don't spoil the session for everyone else. 
and uh, the rules are just there to serve you, like you say. Creating a story, you know, you've got a world, yeah. but you know, things actually have to happen, right? There has yeah. to be um, a sequence of actions that hopefully leads somewhere to create motivations, goals, and sense of progression. And so building a good story, um, how does that look? How do you achieve that? I mean, there's basic <laughs> principles of, you know, storytelling, you know, beginning, middle and end, beginning, set up the characters for people and the scene. What is happening? Add context. People don't immediate confusion of like, where, where are we? We're in a post office. What room are we in? You know, like people need a sense, a clarity of what are we here? Why are we here? What are we initially trying to do? Who are we? And what are the stakes? What are the limitations? You know, are we locked in a, a jail cell? Well, then yeah. obviously the actions we can do is different to being in a field somewhere. Yeah. And then you go into the body of what, what's going to happen. What's the direction? What is the meets? Uh, you know, sensible things that would happen. You're doing a political, I don't know, intrigue. There's going to be at some point an election. There's going to be maybe people fighting for votes, there's going to be um, yeah. funding, lobbying, you know, and you do this in a logical order. It's like, you can't have, you know, okay, cool, people are, are having elections and then next people are collecting votes. You know, there, there has to be, obviously that's a silly example, but there has to be a logical, yeah. enjoyable, intuitive order of things and the stakes have to raise, right? You can't have yeah. this build up of like, okay, cool, we're doing basic things, we're exploring a town. Then we're having this epic boss battle on the top of a clock tail versus your nemesis. And then the next thing is like, yeah, we're pack, packing bags to, you know, travel to a, a seaside house. And like the stakes have built up and now you're kind of doing nothing. And also you've kind of gone from great purpose, great goals to like kind of nothing or kind of weird side tangent that leads nowhere. Sure, side adventures are a thing, but side adventures don't become the adventures by design. Yeah. Maybe by actuality through what players do, but not by design. It's the anime beach episode. They all go to the beach. It's <laughs> yeah. a thing. But yeah, it? no, I know what you mean. Yeah, so, and then our conclusion. There has to be some nail-biting thing that both shows that the player's goal was, was reached. They, they went somewhere. Yeah. The whole, the reason they were doing things led up to something. You know, maybe they're reached that village where they've met reach their long lost lover and the king has, that they've been taking the scroll across the countryside to pass with this important information is reached and then there's a, a plot twist to keep people on edge to yeah. something unexpected happens so that people obviously want a sense of the story they want kind of happens you know they want the happy ever after and stuff but also people kind of want something that's unique your story is not the trope that every other story is yeah and then a conclusion satisfying you know like not a movie where everything's loose ends like cool they lived happily ever after together or they all died <laughs> or you know all of it was a dream or, or whatever the the sense of progression meaning intrigue and flesh to the meat that's my sense of story and also in dnd the fluidity of like of uh, story paths where it's like this is the sphere of story so this is like path of story where they choose the save the world approach. These are the sort of things that would, could happen there, but not a hard line of this is the thing because then 
I mean, you mentioned hard events, sure. Yeah. That creates a solidity of like, we're not just spending three hours farming. Yeah. yeah. Well, I've seen that, but <laughs> that should be every the, game. The Stardew Valley uh, <laughs> RP system. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. So, I mean, anything you want to add to that in terms of building a good story? No, I think you, you nailed it pretty well. I think to make a compelling narrative, stakes are literally the biggest thing. Um, if you just tell the players there's a local cave and there are rumors there's a great treasure hoard in there they arrive and they see there's a big dragon and he's away now in the real world how many people will go i have an 80 percent chance to die if i run in there but there's a billion dollars most people wouldn't go some people okay if you're desperate enough you might go 20 percent chance i'm very rich i'll do it i get it but a lot of people would just there and then back off and go no way 80% chance to die I still have enough I'm happy with what I have why would I likely die there are no stakes it's just there's an opportunity but you'll likely die but the players always go I don't have much to lose I'll roll a new character that's not playing a believable character because the characters will know they'll die what movie would they just walk in someone will go guys I'm not sure it's a huge dragon I I've just learned to use the sword stakes are different the one player is like my sister's there, held captive in the dungeon below. I will likely die. I have a 20% chance to make it through. I gotta save my sister. That stakes, something is important. Always have stakes. If we fail, diplomatic relations with the neighboring kingdom will fail. War might be on the horizon. Make it interesting, raise the stakes. When it gets low, introduce a new element. Keep them on their toes. That's what any compelling narrative does is it raises the stakes that keeps people interested it will make them do death-defying risky things yeah that's that's how you do a narrative and like you've said when you prep as a gm unfortunately you cannot say act one they'll meet this guy then act two they'll do this then war will break out they might do the most heroic thing they'll avert war all you can say is this is a story about when you prep it about kingdoms that have different interests and different actors with maybe set personalities and these are events that are going to trigger, like there's an iron shortage in the One Kingdom. That's what sparks it. That's the flame. That's fixed. But how that exact narrative pans out, take it week by week. Take the player's suggestion, and the story will likely go, not an, it'll go down the same river to where you want to go, where war at the end either stops or breaks out, goes one of two ways in the river, but the exact currents it takes. Don't draw a straight line exactly down the wide lake or river where you want to go. The little currents along the way are going to take you and listen to the players, respond to those little changes in currents, because otherwise I've seen players sit there and it's like, no, sorry, I cannot take your suggestion. Sorry, it doesn't matter what the dice said, you rolled really high. I have to make this duke survive here because he's the villain in the next act. Doesn't yeah. matter if you roll the twenty. Yeah. yeah, you cannot. That's not. That makes the players feel unheard. It makes their actions not matter. Um, so you have to have a compelling but yet uh, uh, malleable narrative. If I can call it that. Yeah. Uh, but, but the broad strokes, by all means. Yeah, uh, and it can be yeah. fun also if you. You don't have to do. It, but sometimes it's nice to tie in characters or, or their impact or their backstory. In it's like, yeah. ooh, who's that shady character? 
oh, it's actually one of the characters, you know, secret father that actually had to give them up because he got roped into this dangerous world underground and so you yeah, can take care of them. On. And so it's kind of nice to make characters feel part of the world and not just, just happen to be in the world, but the world actually is something they're impacted or a part of or impacts them in return. It's not just war with the neighboring kingdom. This is the evil duke that's attacking our kingdom. But this one character is fundamentally from that kingdom and they left. And they have an emotional investment there. And they have an internal conflict about whether to do this. That's the best. When it's not even obvious like, oh, I have the stake. This is level one of intrigue. Is the princess is there. She's good. The evil guys are holding her. Let's save her. An even better thing for character development is I'm damned if I do, damned if I don't. Like in real life. Now, which poison am I going to pick? Do I betray this friend of mine to save more people? Do I give up my, my beliefs for the sake of the greater good? If you can do that in a narrative and you make people just choose the lesser of evils constantly and feel like did they make the right choice, you can't do that every week with everything. But if it builds up to that, that's the next level of narrative. That's when people go, that was an epic thing to be a bit part of. Yeah. Um, and even if you can go into more adult themes like, you know, sacrifice or you, yeah. like don't always want to get too dark but it is nice yeah. to make it feel like you're getting for a crown it's not just you know all yeah. rainbows and flowers and all that yeah. yeah so let's go on to accessibility in the the hobby you know how has the hobby made itself more accessible over time because it is becoming more accessible as popularity is surging yeah yeah, it's definitely more accessible, I suppose. I, I generally, I'm often worried about social media and where it's all going and turning people against each other. I'm not usually a fan. I've taken myself off of a lot of it. But I think for finding someone to buy your fridge and just finding someone in your neighborhood that wants to play Dungeons and Dragons, I say social media is great. Like go on Facebook, find the group and just go, guys, I'm looking for a group and just post, take the plunge. And usually... How more, even in small towns now, it's like, you think, no, people here are too backwards. And I've seen people think, like, not in my small town. And then it's like, some people I've seen surprised. Oh, there's a thriving little RP community, you know. It might be harder to find people that's going to want to run that exact type of session that you want. Compromise, maybe. Talk about what you want. At least you'll find something, right? I've seen local board game stores, just because it's mainly just board games and card games. But these realms all... Uh, very overlapping Venn diagrams in terms of interests because yes. even board games are fancy in nature and similar groups that people walk in and they might the hardcore board gamer or card gamer might know role players oh I don't play but my cousin plays and go meet people there I've seen local board game stores like uh, even advertise uh, role playing sessions that they run once a week a month there in the store and um, really inquire about that and see if you just like the people I think Role-playing, unfortunately, I don't think will work if you feel like you're not gelling with the people as people. Yes. I think the friendship first thing does help. And if you're not friends with them yet, at least go, you know what, they seem interesting. They seem nice. Having like-minded interests for me has always made it a lot easier. Yes. I struggle to make friends, but when people are like, oh, no, I, 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 I liked uh, Evangelion like you. When I was young and starting RP, I was like, I thought it was very niche. Who else had watched this anime? Um, who else uh, was a big fan of that fancy book series, you know? Um, yes. Uh, or sci-fi or, or science. I, I like science and philosophy. And I was like, 
more niche, but it was like, hey, these people are well read and usually the geeks are the more uh, bookish types. And I was like, something resonates with me here. And yeah, as we have more mediums to find out, yeah. get the information about, you know, how to play things, what's out there, where to find the people, what does it entail when I do it. But then also the systems themselves, you get different formats. So you may get uh, one-shot design games that are very quick, like, you know, two minutes, learn the rules. Your characters are almost pre-developed. You can even have pre-generated characters. The story is simple, the mechanics simple, and you get a lot of action packed in a short amount of time so that you don't have to feel restricted to multi-sessions. Or if you're more avid, there's more strategic games, but the fact that there's the ability to be approachable for different crowds so that there's something for everyone. So one shops has become way more popular than it was. Yeah. There's so many systems designed just to get people into the hobby, to have a one-off game, have fun. It's approachable. Maybe the themes aren't as out there, you know, oh, we're just people in the world, you know. Um, sometimes there's a bit of a barrier. People might be a bit off about, oh, I'm an elf. Isn't that like a bit out of my comfort zone? But if you're just a person or something, it, mm. for a newer player, it might be better. Although it can be a lot of fun playing an elf. But you, you get what I'm going at. When you think about people getting into this hobby, why should they not feel intimidated? Because a lot of people are. And, and <laughs> no, they it's are. sad yeah. because... Yeah. There's a lot of people that I think would really enjoy the hobby and have kind of been so curious but they can never get themselves to go or they just know nothing about it. Um, and it's such a fun thing, but there is this kind of intimidation or um, yeah. barrier that puts people away from it. I have to put myself back as a youngster and then me being in my late teens is not the same as people nowadays, 20 years later. It's it's a new world new challenges the core human psychology is the same the need to belong to a group the, the need to feel kind of like having a fulfilling hobby having people sharing that with other people so from my side i think what may make it less intimidating is the fact that people are very accepting very easy very easy to get along with and it's an activity that cultivates easy socialization while your character yeah. knows their character you can already talk about your character traits and your character can have fun interactions and you you know there's people who are there to help you and so there's a support yeah. someone will be an experienced player the game master will be experienced they can help you out they can give you suggestions if you're a bit shy they, they can sort of help you out and so that's kind of human aspect and the fact that you're playing with a whole range of people you're not just playing with a very specific type of person there's a whole range of people it's like people you'd meet everywhere else you'll you'll meet them there and so and the games are much more easier to get into than they used to be because of resources and the nature of them and you also the barrier of experience level is not as prolific and the themes are it's targeted toward adults it's not targeted toward kids it's not like ooh, you know kid plays with the action figures it's actually quite adult appeal adult theme but also there's play there's fun interactions mm. there's joy that i think anyone can find there from any sort of walk of life and people can get out of their shelves and even the most not so secure in themselves very unconfident people can have a lot of fun in role playing and maybe they have more fun than anyone else because they're getting such an escapist such a safe experience that they may not get in the world and so yeah. i encourage the, the listeners to try it out if anything out of curiosity in my experience 
most people who have come to our table have enjoyed it to some degree. Some keep up with it. Some just say it was fun. And I, I agree. Uh, everything there. All I can say is like, you know, maybe you can't play day one and you should just go up to them and go, can I please just sit here and watch? And maybe you start liking their sense of humor. Maybe you go, no, they're obnoxious. Then you walk away. Or maybe you go, you know, I didn't play today, but they let me sit with them, you know, to just observe. But ask, ask and see what they're like. Maybe they start cracking jokes and you're like, you, you just can't stop laughing. These people have a similar sense of humor. There's always humor in a session. Even yes, when yes. it's a garish setting, I've always seen the funny stuff happens because you're making stuff up. So there's going to be absurd, crazy stuff. And that yes. facilitates humor. And you know what? Humor bonds people and brings them together more than anything else that I've seen. So even just ask just to sit there. And my advice is always like fear, regret more than failure. Yeah. yeah, you might go and fail and just the group didn't like you didn't get along with them. You know what? They're not going to remember you. are not going to remember them. And I know it's daunting when you're younger. The regrets is going to be worse. I, I would have liked to play with them, but I wasn't brave enough to go up to them and maybe just ask, can I just watch for 10 minutes? You know, so I'd say that first step is the, is the hard one, yes. but, but ask. Uh, and if you can do that, you'll find, you know, everyone else was initially as insecure as worried. I was certainly, I was yeah. as insecure and worried that I would be disliked and afraid to play a character in front of other people, afraid I'd embarrass myself, all the rest of it. When you find everyone else is suffering as you and dealing with the same, the same worries and insecurities, then also you're not that different, special. You're just, they're just like you. And the moment I realized that, it was easier to just go to them and go, can I join you? Yeah. You're just another human being. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, everyone's going through stuff that everyone can relate with. And everyone is just there to be happy, make friends. And everyone's got things they bring to the table. I think, you know, if you really break it down, like, there's obviously a lot of like overarching themes and potential rules and things. But at the end of the day, it's conversational. You're sitting at a table with people, you're having a chat, you're, you're listening and interacting with a cool story, there's jokes, there's cool, memorable moments, and there's just kind of a world that kind of will appeal. And so if you break it down to that, it's, you know, it's pretty approachable activity, but yeah, it's worth it. And I think you'll catch on faster than you think. Yeah, yeah, that first step, the journey of a thousand miles starts with the first step is the old proverb. And it's literally that first step. Yeah, that's the hard one. Just going, can I join you for 10 minutes, please? Just, can I just watch? If they say no, then maybe they're rude. doesn't matter. They, they won't remember someone asked them that day. But I know it's hard. I've been there. Just, just start. And I, I agree with you. Everyone will like some form of role playing on some level. Who doesn't like making up random stuff? People are creative. At least all ch children are. And some people get that educated or, you know, society falls it out of them. And they're like, no, I, I no longer want to do that. But teaching a kid to start role playing, they're all natural role players. They make stuff up all the time. They're very creative. And like... For adults to, re to rediscover that uh, is very freeing and very good for us. Um, uh, yeah. So, any advice for newcomers? Newcomers are often better role players than the experienced ones. And this is not, not something that people always agree with, but as a dungeon master, a game master, this has always been my... Let me give you an example. New player comes and they just... So here's my advice to them, first and foremost. 
whatever would be compelling in a in a movie ask yourself whether it's working on peter jackson a lord of the rings movie would it be cool if the character do that does this don't worry about the rules don't look at your character sheet it's an overwhelming amount of info it doesn't matter tell the game master Ooh, if i'm the elf i want to slide down the the stairs like the railing and then i'm going to jump on the guy's head and kick him because that would be cool that's what a legolas would do my character seems nimble enough just describe that if it would be cool in the movie it has to be in the mind's eye this will play out like a movie just say what you do you can do anything do it if it's believable Legolas, if you say i'm going to walk on the ceiling run on the ceiling you can't do that so yes. don't mention that it's not believable in the world so sky's the limit say what you're going to do the game master will translate that into rules and go roll that dice you actually technically don't need to know the rules as a new player you can just go i want to do this it'll be creative and cool my character seems to be able to do that in the constraints of the world what do i roll oh the game master knows the rules well you roll two of those let's see what the outcome is that's all you need to know you never actually need to know the rules it helps in terms of building your character later but you can just describe what you have to do they can tell you what to roll now experienced role players often i've seen they now know the rule system so well know the constraints of the world where they go right you're the best at stealth do a stealth check you do this you're the most charismatic talk to him you talk to the king try and persuade him they just know call it min maxing they've min max their rules who in the real world stands in a group of people and go you're the most charismatic you talk to him. in real life we don't admit you're the most charismatic the big yeah. rough barbarian the conan goes nonsense he has no charisma but he goes i will tell the king i know exactly where you failed your kingdom and he has a quick tongue and a short temper and that gets the party into trouble and the newcomer will just go Argh. sorry king you failed your people the experienced crowd often knows this will maximize the odds of winning at the game they play it as a game because they start learning the system so they go no i mustn't talk because i'm not the barbarian and that's a boring narrative because imagine in real life we were like you're the best at this i'll keep quiet you do this i'm not good enough no we have egos we have desires we have insecurities and that's where the magic of a story lies sometimes in the guy that shouldn't be doing something is doing it out of pride and other bad yes. vices so the newcomers often just lean into your flaws i almost want to say compelling characters in tv and drama have flaws and they struggle to resist them they have a battle with them don't worry about playing optimally just play your character in a believable way and never let your knowledge of the rules later on uh, make you go no i could play better there's no better there's just interesting and compelling yeah in it's story. exercise your sense of agency right you know it's like part of being yourself being yourself is not just doing what's expected it's about taking your internal desires your experience and the context and you know deciding what i want what would i do and doing it and seeing what happens and you know the the world gives you a guide but there's no mean the rule set about your conduct or what you should do i played in vampire the masquerade i was a guy in the modern world that was in uh, the vampire was in torpor which is their their long sleep and he was a literal porn star in the 1970s and this guy owned a nightclub and now his empire had been thriving and he came back and he's out of touch with the real world of modern day it was like 10 years ago and that was an interesting character to play because modern day elements vampires yeah and thinking how the 70s culture matches onto ours so i have to kind of be interesting in that way and also dealing with unlife and not walking around in the day and vampires have 
like I say, rich psychological baggage that they carry uh, due to their very parasitic nature. It deranges them in some way. So that's a compelling, interesting uh, character to play. Um, I'll just leave that as one example, but I can think of countless others where it pushes my imagination and my creative limits. Yeah, juggling these multiple balls of different eras tied to the real world, tied into fantasy. And uh, then I have to interact with other players who have their own interesting backstories and uh, motivations. Just exploring that with a good group of friends, especially if you can do that, is amazing. To, to share a story myself and also kind of on a unusual characters, I, I ran this game where basically I, for like a, trying something out where you could be any real life character and just play them in a role playing setting. And so, you know, everyone's kind of like more action-y focused because there's an action element to the, the style of story. And this one guy just comes as um, Mother Teresa. And so we've got Mother Teresa amongst all these <laughs> badasses. So uh, as part of the prep, I basically got a video for each of the, the people as like to, to advertise who they are, like an unveiling video or whatever. So someone was Batman, so I gave them the Batman video. And they're all like serious action-y videos. And then the, the two unveil, okay, this player is playing Mother Teresa. I play like just a clip of Mother Teresa like helping out the poor, poor and doing all these good deeds and such a change of pace. And then she's in this world being like this innocent lady helping everyone and there's all these hardened criminals around her. And it's just like there's such an inherent comedic effect about that. But having that character who's just so like different to the rest kind of adds a cool dynamic. I, I think so. It's like, yeah, I'm, I'm remembering now a campaign that I started and I was gone for the two sessions when thing, things went off the rails because we spoke about how the GM can't always be prepared for what the players are going to do. So our poor GM prepared. Modern day setting. I think it was Mage. So everyone has like this low level, like Doctor Strange level magic, but imagine real world. They have to break into a government building. Now I was there for the setup. But now the, the GM put literally on the team as a hacker and the GM put loads of clues how they can hack into the systems to get security clearance to go rob the vault or whatever they, I think it was a heist. As a heist setting, they have to get the thing out of the vault. The players were like, how the hell are we going to get in here? Just not seeing any of the clues. And what this devolved into is they were in the end, what they were going for is they all applied, went for job interviews as janitors at the company. <laughs> and it was, it was like, I all gave you all these clues. They just ignored it. And now it was these interview processes as janitors to try and be janitors there and get security clearance. So it was working up the corporate ladder as janitors. And it was one of the most fun sessions. That was the one I missed was where they applied for that. And everyone said that was the most fun we ever had in the session. The GM was like, sure, it was just none of my preparation had anything to do with your most fun session ever. <laughs> and it just shows like why we over prep as GMs. So often the players create that narrative themselves. You just created a basic foundation for it. And all your added prep was wasted, inverted commas. But the story and the inspiration and what is fun can come from anywhere. No, exactly. So, anything, last things you would like to say, Andre? No, thanks for having me on. Uh, I love talking about this. It's been an amazing hobby for so many years and I've met great people through it. It's helped cement, forge friendships and uh, helped me flex and develop my own creative chops, so to speak. And I would encourage everyone to try role playing. If you have an imagination, you've, if you hold up your hand, if I say, do you have a rich imagination? You got to do it. Find like-minded people, uh, the setting that will work for you, the rule system that would work. Uh, hopefully we've done it justice. 
there are otherwise so many podcasts out there that have ongoing role-playing campaigns in audio format on YouTube for free. Try Critical Role, try one of the many role-playing podcasts that are dedicated to that. Watch videos on how to be a better role-player, how to be a better dungeon master, because there are these good tutorials and people that have compiled much better info on those specific topics than, than I could convey. And there are so many rich sources out there to help expand your knowledge on it. And you know, if worse comes to worse, you can't find anyone in your community, you can go online and role play over a couple of virtual systems that simulate a virtual tabletop like a Fancy Grounds and Roll20. Talking on camera is not as fun as in real life, but you know, it's better than nothing. Well, Andre, thank you so much for coming on. It was a pleasure you sharing your wisdom and experience and just uh, general enjoyment of the hobby. And that, dear listeners, wraps up another fantastical episode of The Power of Perspective with Stephen Ritchie. As you go about your day, remember the adventures we've explored through role-playing in D&D. Keep those dice rolling and your imagination soaring. If you enjoyed this episode as much as I did, don't forget to subscribe and share this podcast. You can follow us on Instagram at Power of Perspective with Stephen. Join me again for more eye-opening journeys. Thank you.